<laughs> California, City of Angels, Storm be troubled. Uh, right. I've been preaching this all my life, right, bro? Knock the windows. Watch out, here we go. California, one hell of a illusion. Model Stern Stripper, four stars in movies carved in Beverly Hills, Hollywood Hills, Sunset Boulevard. Girls walking the strip, stars and screens, ghetto kids starting to eat. Fake coolers, police abuse along the streets. Whoa, whoa, Wrestlemania, come on, way more enthusiasm than this Wrestlemania deserves. Welcome everybody to the Wrestlemania 2000 review here on the Rogue Things podcast feed as part of the Rogue Retro's Smackdown review. I'm your host Scott McLeod and we are here to talk about a McMahon in every corner as I'm speaking to you. This could, you could well be looking at the title as it says part one or what, of whatever many parts this is. I have no idea how we're going to cover all of this, considering what happened when we tried to cover the Royal Rumble. But we we take it as it comes, and we're here for WrestleMania 2000. We've been kind of anticipating it, slash dreading it, and now we're finally here. We can't put it off anymore. I've got a kind of strong bowl with me that's already opened, and one ready for that will be cracking open very soon. But joining me is the Jerry Lawler to my JR. He is my the new co-host permanently of the Rogue Retro Smackdown review is Sam Person. Sam, say hello to everybody and tell us what you're drinking. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Create a strombo in my town. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Even got a bottle of red. Whoa, whoa, whoa. WrestleMania's coming home. Oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> I try, I try. I'm, I, when I think Jerry Lawler, I try to think, oh, he brings colour to the commentary, not he mostly talks about boobs and um, is about as um, contributable as a condom machine in the Vatican. So I'm... <laughs> If you ever want to call me Taz or, God forbid, Don West, I could almost accept that. But Jerry Lawler is basically like a stab in the heart, especially as I already put in my comments on uh, for the notes. Jerry Lawler might be the worst part of this WrestleMania. So thank you for preparing me for the <laughs> shit I'm about to go through, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to say he's the worst part of this WrestleMania, seeing some, considering some of the crap we're going to talk about here and now, but... Sam is a new addition to the Rogue Opinions team, but somebody you've also already heard on the Rogue Opinions uh, podcast feed before, a man who's also a part of the team now. He is a man who was put into a three-hour coma because of this WrestleMania, his words, not mine. He also can be heard on the Hallway Grats podcast. It is Rian. How are you doing, my friend? you feeling refreshed? What are you drinking? Oh, I am refreshed, as you can hear. I've only woken up about 20 minutes ago. I've grabbed myself an ice cold can with Canadian. They were on special offer in Ireland, so you got to take what you can as a student. I'm just going to crack it open. Hopefully, this can come off as uh, as like as ASMR to everybody. <laughs> Fucking beautiful, that was. Uh, but yeah, I'm ready. Um, 
I heard that Sam Sam was writing three thousand six hundred words about this. Judging by that intro, I think he padded it out quite well. Um, that intro was about a thousand words, uh, and uh, what I did, he, um, what I did instead of writing three thousand six hundred or watching this, uh, I just started giving people nicknames. So Rikishi, I just called him the Quiche, but spelt like the Quiche, the food. So from now on, Rikishi is now known as a Quiche. Um, I'm not sure if Rikishi has ever had a Quiche, but if I ever meet him, I'm probably going to bring him a Quiche, and then I'm probably going to die. But that's what I nearly did watching this pay-per-view because, my God, it felt like forever. But I'm looking forward. It's one of those, you're not looking forward to watching it, but you're very much looking forward to talking about it. Got it in one. Got it in one. I cannot agree more with that. It's horrendous to get through, but goddamn, the drinking and talking afterwards is going to be fantastic. Yeah, and I and, and I completely agree. I I think I think in I think in my two other podcasts that I did with Scott on 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 Rogue um, and including the Mania Pay one, I have the three words "Jerry is horny" about fifteen times, and that is being <laughs> like that is being generous. <laughs> That's just a, that's just doing one match. It's not including the two hour build up where it's the only fucking thing he'll talk about. Oh. <laughs> uh, I, I do agree with the fact that it's, it's funner to talk about this show than actually watch it. Hey, it's the end of a long week for me, and I know you guys have uh, had a long week. We've had exams, Sam's working as well. You know, lads getting together. Uh, not shutting up and drinking alcohol while talking about this show. What could possibly go wrong, eh? Well, I'm already one can down, and we've only done the introduction, so that should really tell you. Yeah, Scott, uh, do not say what could go wrong over on Skype. Have you learned nothing from being a podcaster? Evidently, he has not the poor boy, so I feel like he's going to be taught at some point during this, but we shall find out as we go through. Indeed. As I said, this could be one of many parts I did. I do feel like people have never had a conversation with Sam need to be warned this man can go on a bit and I say it in the nicest possible way <laughs> but you know we'll move into it. Wrestlemania 2000 took place on April 2nd 2000 in the Arrowhead Pond in Anaheim, California the same venue that hosted uh, Wrestlemania 12 which featured the, the Iron Man match between Brett and Sean uh, I actually did a review of that show a month or so ago over my other podcast, Scott and Paul's Ramblin' podcast, that out after you've listened to this, if you want. I'd never actually watched the Iron Man match before I happened to watch the show uh, for that review. So, if you want to hear my thoughts. Uh, the attendance for this show is 19,776 people. And Poor people. By the, mm, it's still about the same goal. length as the running time at this rate, let's be honest. So. It is weird though to see WrestleMania and it's a regular arena. I mean, it's still like a hell of a crowd they managed to pack into this venue but you know and they will start going back to stadiums uh, the following year for Mania X7 but it's weird that in like 1990-2000 when they're still at their peak they didn't think of like branching out to bigger arenas when it felt like they could just put together any old shape as case in point will be this show and fans still showed up in their droves and dished out their hard-earned money as 824,000 people did on pay-per-views that's the number of buys this got now money 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 that should have been the actual intro tune to this as opposed to a really um lackluster jim ross introducing us to the uh america is beautiful national anthem yeah Yeah. according according to the commentary name not only america 
I think America might be down the tone pole on their list of why it's beautiful, even as proud American. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like it opens with like a view outside with that weird uh, California song, which is maybe which they also used the rest of as well, which is maybe a Jim Johnson don't sue it because it's different enough, uh, like version of like a uh, California Love. I think a song by Two Fact that they wanted to use for Mania 12, but they weren't given permission, so they just ripped it off, and so they reused it because they're in the same, they're back in California. So you hear that song as JR welcomes us to be shot outside the arena, and then it cuts to Ella and Garcia thing, which I definitely didn't skip. And then we get quite a, a nice video package with, a, I think it's, it sounds like the actor Keith David, like, talking like this tonight or something. Because I recognise his voice because he did narrate the Monday Night Wars documentary. And he has a hell of a voice, you know, he has a connection to wrestling in a way because he also starred in They Live alongside Roddy Piper. And so he's narrating the video package. And I, I noted this line specifically. He said, he's basically talking about how different this will be to other resumes. It's not going to be like the norm. And he says, it's a night where we see, we've seen some of the greatest WrestleManias. So we've seen some of the greatest main events of all time. This won't be like that. You're damn fucking right when we talk about the main event. It oh. won't be. Basically, <laughs> he's warning you. You've paid your money, but the main event will be shite. Everything will be shite. It was a. I'm gonna. I'm gonna straight up come up with a hot take and say this was a one, one match card. Maybe two, but the, but I have reasons for why it's only a one, and we'll get onto that. That's, a, that's the lukewarmest of hot takes, I think, from anyone who's ever watched this show, because anybody will agree with you on that. No, point. but no, but people will have an argument that it's two match card, but I have a reason why that second match is not. Involved. I get the feeling that I might end up agreeing with you, but I, possibly for different reasons. I get the feeling. Um, I do agree in terms of like um, the. Uh, I do think it's Keith David doing the piece. That's what I thought as well because of the it had like a Goliath uh, context to it from gargoyles. But I actually was really underwhelmed by the video package. I have to admit, and. It was trying to sell the history of WrestleMania and the actual championship, but I don't feel that video package accomplished anything. And my actual notes that I wrote on here was not a great start for supposedly the most electrifying WrestleMania of all time, because that's the words they used. And I felt like I'd basically just been served a cheese sandwich. That's (laughs) how exciting it fucking was. So it did not, it did not set a great start and that just continues as we go through. But I was very underwhelmed by this video package, I have to admit, especially considering some of the brilliant ones we've had in the past. This was like this was like something that someone threw together in two hours before be, because they suddenly realized they had a fucking presentation to do. You know, <laughs> sounds like sounds like modern day WWE booking. All those really last I, minute shit. I, I don't I don't think they would have dedicated as much time to the package as um as they would have de- back then. I think uh, nowadays it's pretty much a case of what what can we do that? Yeah, all right. There's no thought or process, and it's some of the things that I comment over the last couple of weeks, which I'm sure Scott will agree to, is that there seems to be a very short sighted booking a lot of the time, which really frustrates you for when the booking is really good, and this is almost like a complete culmination of the up and down booking of the last couple of weeks uh, during the SmackDown episodes we've looked at especially, but we will go into each one as we go through and really give the detail, and if anyone can sell this to me as a free match card, I will buy them a pint. <laughs> yeah, two even. I'll buy them a pint of base. I mean, it's a two match card, which is ambitious. 
not a too much card because I might agree with you. But free match card, if you convince me, I'll get you a beer. Right. I know. It is really lackluster when you talk about. You think about WWE's production is some of the best ever because, like, you can be really down on the build to a show, but they can put together a video package that'll make you forget all about that in like the briefest of moments. And if any time a build to a show, you did a very well put together video package to help you forget the bollocks that led to it. It was fucking this one, and you know, so it's really upsetting when you, can, you know how good WWE's production can be. And so then it's all about the main event, obviously, as most video packages are. But, you know, we've seen better. Like, uh, Sam, we talked about the Royal Rumble. Uh, the Royal Rumble's opening video package is all about Cactus and Mick Foley basically putting themselves over, but then talk, putting their opponents over, then bigging themselves up as to why they're so dangerous ahead of the street fight. And then something that's also let me down because they're in this kind of size of arena. What the fuck is to do with the lack of set here? Because, you know, WrestleMania is maybe the grandest, you know, it's got a big unique set each year that helps it stand out. They've just got big, two big tellies on either side, like a really shit drive-in theatre. You know, a lot of people complain about WrestleMania 35 with the, the giant massive screen. I'd argue I'd, t- I'd take that any day over whatever the hell they were doing with WrestleMania 2000 set. I think, um, funny you mention that, because I actually put a note at one point in regards to the entrance this actually feels weirdly like a transitional year because if you look at some of the previous years around um a lot of them were pretty simple um some of them were literally just an entrance and you come in last year was pretty much like a um like a pentagram or some shit hanging above the entrance and that's about it this is this is pretty much like the the transitional year of them actually starting to make the entrance sets feel like a big deal because you saw the Royal Rumble and that for Madison Square Garden is always going to have a very small entrance so therefore they utilised that and created a very um, almost like ramshackle um, street fight s style just and- tunnel like a tunnel kind of thing. Yes, exactly, yeah. And then you got some, which is like you got King of the Ring coming up in a couple of months, which has a huge, big, giant fucking throne above it, and it really sells the impact of it. You got Backlash with the whips coming back and forth, and this, it's like they went, oh, WrestleMania is big enough just with the name. We'll go really big, and we'll put two screens in. And it's just like, it does. You already have it. The video package isn't selling the majestic, uh, the majestic nature at the moment. The stage looks very underwhelming. Um, really, this looks like the sort of setup for an in-your-house pay-per-view. Uh, Madison Square Garden has that kind of gritty, like make it look like the streets of New York and kind of the alleyway, and for the entrance, and they had the road kind of painted on the ramp. Uh, sorry, on the entrance, we kind of like to symbolise the road to WrestleMania. I mean, when we talked about uh, No Way Out, they had kind of a mini version of the cell coming through the entrance as you were coming out so oh, yeah. you can put that in front of those shows but again WrestleMania may be the biggest show of the year so I wouldn't put it past them to be more of a transitional year I mean I can see why they've chosen this venue because they've had history here they've also had a WrestleMania before it's not uncommon for them to go back to a venue they've used before they remember the first time they did it, I believe is when they'd used uh, Trump Plaza two years in a row I mean it was four and five but yeah I would say that they're probably in a bit of a transitional in terms of what venue they're using because I think they started conversations with the Astrodome for next year's May, like a few weeks before this show. So they're already looking ahead to, to next year and trying to get that massive like venue that they use next year. And at least but the fans are all hyped for it, you know, the pyro and everything's going off. And then if you're watching it on the network, you've got a really hard cut into the ring with Godfather, 
know, Kitney doing his usual yeah. thing because yeah. uh, this is because Ice T comes out with them uh, performing his song Pimpin' It Easy from the WWF Aggression album. And, well, obviously it's been cut and it was cut long before Peacock, but if it was still there, Peacock would have really fucking cranked down on that because one of the first lines is him yelling, is AT yelling to 19,000 people, grab your bitches, and then saying Pimpin' Pimpin' Easy Man about a thousand times. Yeah, it, 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 it was like, it was just like, I was like sitting down, I was just about to take a sip of my tea because it was early in the morning when I watched this, and all of a sudden it was just like, instant hose on the screen <laughs> i was just like what's going on i don't even know the match and then the knockoff the knockoff 50 year old shield came out and i was like oh great this is how they open mania back in the day instant hose sounds like a cologne the godfather would try and sell you yeah <laughs> <laughs> or just or just a service that he'd create on like facebook marketplace when he runs out of cash it's, it's a hard you- life after he retires from work what can we say he'll do anything for a buck 20 yeah, I mean, I mean, it's simply easy. That's because you keep giving them away. Like you, you never see the Godfather exchanging any money for the hoes on WTV. Yeah, one of my one of my notes was, "What? Is, who is your favorite hoe?" <laughs> well, if you ask Jerry the Lawler, it's obviously the fucking red, one in red because that's all he could talk about for about five minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that is good that they uh, they started the show off with like a team like the Godfather, you know. Uh, D'Lo and Godfather didn't have an official name. They can't be Team Godfather. Me and uh, me and Carl have got that uh, patent pending, the trademark to that name. But Godfather is, I consider him one of my boys because, like, I've really fallen in love with his character over the course of this review, and he is really over. And so you want to start the show off with somebody who's over. And then it's funny when you break this down that it's basically two pins versus two correctional officers, yeah. and the are the good guys. And <laughs> So here comes the big boss man and oh. uh, Bill or Baddy, as he keep, like, once, once or twice referred to him, Buchanan. No relation to uh, to Neil Buchanan from Art Attack. <laughs> oh, Neil, Neil, Buchanan Buch- from, Neil Buchanan from Art Attack would have been better than this. Jeez. He would have been more entertaining. He could have had it in the middle of it. He would just be like, oh, here's a pinfall attempt I made earlier. And just bring out like a little diorama or something like that. Um, or, he, the- or, or, or he could have revealed that he was Banksy. Because you know, <gasps> we, we all know that he's Banksy. He is you obviously know, Banksy. You know how Orton used to like bang the mat before he did the RKO? Like, Buchanan should have done that before he hit the scissors guy, but he just pounded the mat as a crick and chant, This is an art attack. <laughs> the art, yeah, attack, the art attack would be a great finisher move. Sorry, the art attack would have been a great finish move. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'd just like to imagine that the camera cuts to above them, where you've got Bill Buchanan still slapping the ring, and then it actually has a peer roll for it art attack, and then that would be like the build up for it. Um, the, I think from the sounds of it, we all watched the entry, we all watched the uh, network edition, and the awkward cutting of Ice T's entrance just makes, just instantly puts puts it off on like a really awkward foot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do kind of understand of kicking off with D'Lo and Godfather. They do get the crowd mildly hyped, I admit, during their pre match promo, and that's obviously why they've been paddled first, but um, it's very undermined undermined by the choice of opponents now jim ross obviously tries to make a mention of there being a difference in lifestyle as if that's why they're battling but that was pretty much plucked out of his cherry red asshole just to actually give this match any fucking meaning because having watched the episodes in the lead up i'm pretty sure scott's about to tell you this is a pointless fucking match 
yeah, basically, Bill showed up on Raw one day saying, that, and they said, oh, he's a lifelong, he's a friend of the God. Yeah, fucking hell, Scott. I'm only one canon. I'm keeping this in. But he said he's a friend of the Godfather, someone from his past. They don't mention who. Basically, it's like, oh, well, his partnership with Prince Albert wasn't working out. Bring in, uh, bring in Big Barry. And Barry comes in. Basically, they beat the Godfather in an episode of Raw. Then he has a rematch with uh, Bill on the SmackDown. He gets beat up again there. And then the next week, they announce, oh, uh, Dilo and Godfather are going to take these two on at the uh, at WrestleMania. And I don't think I mentioned it on SmackDown, but on the Raw before WrestleMania, uh, Bill and God, Bill and Bossman were having a match with the APA, and basically Dilo and Godfather, their music just hits. They give APA money, and they kind of leave with the hose. And so basically, they paid off APA to let them just like take their place in the match, and then they beat up Bossman and Buchanan, and that's the build to this match. And the only reason I see Zero in there, I think, is because they're heavily pushing this WWF Aggression album. And to be fair, they have got some big names, and it was a good get from them to get Ice T. Is it weird that I only know? I mainly know Ice T as the guy from Law and Order SVU because he's really good in that show. He is actually. I will agree with that. Um, as soon as I saw him appear, I kept on expecting Olivia Benson to appear behind him. I'm not going <laughs> to lie, or have Munch as the referee, which would be absolutely fucking amazing. But I still have. I still don't see a legitimate enough reason to generate a match between these two teams, especially for an opening match. And the reason... Yeah. Sorry, I'll let you go for this bit. Go ahead. Uh, no, I, it's much of the same. My two, my two notes on this, and it's kind of telling, where Bossman looks like if Dean Ambrose got um, bro- broke up with Renee and lo- lost it for the next 30 years, and D'Lo take the jacket off, mate. It's really annoying me. It's just, <laughs> falling. It's just falling off every time you try and do a move. I don't think Dino Brown really suits this to some degrees. I know he's supposed to be like um, relatively cool and him and Godfather are friends, but it feels feels like Dino Brown is cosplaying and unfortunately he's not as good as the Mean Street Posse at it. So he's really not suited for this one. And I actually think the biggest mistake might be having it as a tag team match because Godfather can get people hyped up a little bit, but he is not that great in the ring and then you've got it the choice of boss man and buchanan and this is where my issue really comes in boss man is much slower than he used to be and he has a style it that is not meant to accentuate an energetic or excitement or anything like that he is that old-fashioned heel who grounds it who grinds it down um bit by bit does does a couple of hits and that sort of thing and it works better with a baby face powering up against him. Now that's okay in a one-on-one match, but in a tag team match that's supposed to get the crowd hyped up for the biggest event of the year, you do not bring in an old fashioned style wrestler. Who's going to slow it down and grind it out. And that style, because it just ends up even bows like jumping clothesline got little reaction. And that's because of the choice of having boss man involved. I just, I love him, but I think he was the wrong choice. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. I have a feeling this is no pun intended whatsoever, but I think Godfather was handcuffed by Bossman in terms of just the way like the the style just didn't work. Whereas like like I, like Godfather just wasn't able to be himself in terms of a wrestler, and it just completely ruined. It was like they were all stuck in glue. It just didn't. I was waiting for that like big moment. I knew it wasn't going to be a big big moment, but I was waiting for something to take it up from bottom gear to second bottom gear even. 
Yeah. But like it just never got out of there. And it just left me being like, there is a timeline underneath. Do I want to skip this and just put generic comments in? Like it, that's what it felt like for me. Your comments yeah. are probably not going to be as generic as the match itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it shouldn't have been a tag team match. That's going to be my reckoning on it. I think that the whole point was Bo Buchanan against the Godfather, but you showed that two times in the build up to it, and the boss man is just interfering. I just. Bossman and Godfather are probably the two weakest of the entire match. So you could om- it almost would have worked better to have an actual singles match at WrestleMania kicking off the event with Dilo Brown trying to avenge on the Godfather's behalf. And you could still have this big promo hype up of having everyone come out with iced tea and the hose and that sort of thing. But it means you still have your two strongest workers in there, which the fact that that's Dilo Brown and Bobby Cannon really says to the quality of the fucking match in total. But regardless of that, it didn't need to be a tag team match. And it almost feels like they put more people in there just to really sell that it's the biggest event of the year. And all they ended up doing was, as you said, handcuff two of the other performers to make it overall a very one note generic matchup that you wouldn't even be impressed with and on, on in your house. Hmm. I think that definitely the best moments of this match were when it was D'Lo and and Bull in the ring because they are the two best workers of the match. I love Godfather, but he's never been the best in ring. The biggest takeaway from Godfather was the, that big shiny like waistcoat he was wearing, and uh, Daryl Lawler asking JR if he's ever worn something like that, and uh, they are responding maybe not in public. Uh, but Bull looked really impressed. I think it was a lot of this was maybe a showcase kind of for him. Because he has the flying clothesline, he has the scissors kicking everything. One thing that did make me laugh is that, uh, uh, obviously, Deal's getting worked over by the heels, but the bit to symbolise, you know, the, the faces come back was the fact that Godfather is maybe shaking the ropes where he is corner when just along on the other corner, uh, Bill is about to get up on the face. Really, you can see the ropes shaking where Godfather is. They are not shaking anywhere near Bill, but he still does the crotch as if he's tripped up anyway. And then that helps Deal at the the head scissors and then symbolizes the, the face comeback, but that quickly gets shut down when uh, I believe it's Steel gets hit with the uh, the boss man slam. Massive bloody leg drop from from Bill Buchanan, who gets the pin, even though I don't think he was fucking legal, but again, I think it's maybe a showcase for him. Mm-hmm. And nine minutes and two seconds of this match went. And I think, again, the only reason that Zogner is, well, one, the Godfather is over no matter what because of his, the whole thing with the hose, but also the fact the opportunity for them to have iced tea and do like the big musical performance. But even then they doomed them with that because everybody knows that like 85% of people who get a live performance at WrestleMania don't win. That's just been proven in the history. Because even in 2000, people knew that was like the case. But, but since earlier, when we talked about ITV and SVU, all I can think is like for this match, the best thing you could have done to introduce it would be how like the style the law and order intros like in the WWF. Selling hoes for free to other wrestlers is considered especially heinous. And the WWE uh, dedicated to dedicated correctional officers who beat up who beat up pimps at WrestleMania are Bill Buchanan, the big boss man. This is their story. Man. I would have watched that. I I had to bet I would have probably watched that. Um, your comment about the Godfather shaking the ropes. I I include that in my notes because I thought it it seemed daft, and I thought it made Bill Buchanan look stupid, which instantly cuts back any of the positives they've done for it. And to be frank, the hot tag was about as warm as my left nipple after five minutes in the freezer. Um, The whole train 
got the briefest of reactions during it, but you end up having it that within a minute, the match is over. And then you realize that the feud began with the Godfather and Bo Buchanan and Godfather ends up not even being involved in the finish, which even suggests to me even more how pointless it was to have him involved. Mm-hmm. I agree with that, but there you go. Nine minutes. Again, it is weird to have the heels kind of open the show with a win, but again, the phrase stars you mean to go on really applies here. As we cut backstage to uh, Triple H and his wife, the new WWF Women's Champion, basically admiring how shiny and how beautiful their title belts are. Uh, Rian, you are the youngest of the Davis. Were you aware that Stephanie McMahon was a WWF Women's Champion? Yeah, I was. I've never, I've never done any deeper research other than she was champion because who cares? <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, um, I mean, judging by the women's stuff that was on this card and the potential of what they could have done with the women's stuff, the fact that they just had Stephanie backstage with a women's title in her hand kind of dragged it out to just look meaningless. Um, <laughs> that's why I thought I was like, why is the women's title there? I I, I kind of I, I kind of looked at the card before and I was like, there's no women's title on the, no women's title like on the card, and I was like, "Why?" Then I saw Stephanie about that. I was like, "That's why." Um, but yeah, my, it, it was just it was just strange. It, it it's I can't really. It, it's it's actually like kind of similar to modern day with some like now and again, it, like they'll alternate which belt. It, it could be the tag belt or it could be the women's belt. But like they just won't be defended on the pay per view. It's actually the IC belt recently. It's before Biggie e got it back, they just won't defend it on pay per views, and it renders it useless. And it's a big contrast to where like. Darby Allen has built up the TNT title, whereas mm-hmm. WWE have a record of like in like two month periods just burying a title and making it meaningless. Like the US title was nothing, and then Sheamus made it something. But then Asuka's Raw title was terrible, and it's kind of like it's kind of it, it lines up for me in my mind when they just bury the women's title like this. I think a really good example when you mentioned with Darby Allen is the fact that I think the only time that the CNC title hasn't been defended on pay-per-view since its um, inauguration was when he was in the street fight partnered with Sting against Brian Cage and Ricky Stark. So yes, the title wasn't being defended, but this was a feud that had been built by that point, probably close to six to eight months. So it would make sense why the title isn't defended in it, but the TNT was still Re, uh, TNT title still mattered in that moment. It's why they were brought together. It's why the feud has been happening. It's why they've come to this huge, big blow-off feud. Whereas in in comparison, you can have it that in WWE they will do a title change and then that's their work done, and they'll forget about it until they need to pick it up again. It's like the last couple of weeks when we've been watching SmackDown, the light heavyweight championship has been very important all of a sudden and appearing on every show. But yet it doesn't appear on here at all, apart from on Dean Malenko's shoulder when he comes out later in the evening. And it's it's a very frustrating aspect in that um, there are these many titles that should be defended and included to make them feel important. And yet it's very easy for them to be neglected. And ironically, there's an example later on in the show where I feel that a title that has been neglected very badly is almost brought back again to the forefront. But I will discuss that when we get to it, and you probably can guess which one. But having the women's title only appear on the shoulder of the main valet of the big heel, when even last year, during the Attitude Era, Sable defended the title, does not shed a good light on this. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I like you pointed out that like the fact that we were on the Golem show when the match with Stephanie and Jacqueline was set up, and they hadn't announced anything for WrestleMania the women's title win. Of course, every other match they were announcing, oh, so-and-so's in this match, he's going to face this person at WrestleMania, or he's going to be dealing with so-and-so against these people at WrestleMania. The fact that the women's title didn't have anything was a bit telling, because, you know, they've actually been trying their best to have matches with Lita and, and Ivory on TV, but they're getting no reaction. But people were actually interested to see this match, because they thought Jacqueline was going to beat the shit out of Stephanie, but then Tori came in with her, the mightiest DDT, mightier than Tommy Dreamers or Jake the Snake Roberts, just knocking Jacqueline right out. But we don't need to talk about the treatment of the women's state. Let's talk about the hardcore title. As we get a clip from Heat, where Tim White is explaining to the hardcore competitors the rules of the 15 minute time limit, however, and like the spinfalls in this do count as official hardcore title reigns and not like the championship scramble, which means which is why Brian Kendrick isn't officially recognised as the WWE champion, though he probably yes. should. Uh, but and uh, he said like there can be as many title changes as match but it just doesn't matter as long as whoever's holding the title at the end of 15 minutes. There could be one, there could be 50. And then Crash whispers in here goes, or none at all. Which is funny when you see the first 30 fucking seconds of this match. Every, every one at the table except Kai and Tyler Kai. That was, one my, that was one of my nuts. Uh, that wouldn't even surprise me. I'm pretty sure that um, at least several of them would have had either several bouts of marijuana or they've been drinking themselves into a stupor because that's the only way they're going to get through the concussion trauma that is the next oh, match. Oh, yeah, oh, CT Central, yeah. yeah. I mean, Taz didn't look high. He looked more just as much of a grumpy prick as he usually does. That's because he's in the Hardcore Championship as opposed to the IC or, or European, which he was battling for just about three weeks before. And he's thinking, I fucking left ECW for this. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, where is he from the Irish end of uh, the red section of Brooklyn? Oh, uh, yeah, here. Ta- it's ta- more like ta- you're ta- from ta- Ireland than from a bloody Brooklyn. Yeah, Taz O'Shea. Taz O'Shea would be someone I would gladly go to watch although I'm not sure I really want to see him in green as opposed to orange because I don't think he can pass it off (laughs) yeah Um, I really enjoyed modern day Taz so in comparison this this Taz is he looks like a killer but why is he a killer in this match or why is he even in this match it's so stupid and it really really annoyed me there there was a lot of that for me there was a lot of people who I recognized who I was like Along with there was a few terrible moves in this match, but along with there's just a couple of people where I I had a soft spot for, and I'm like, why are they in this match? Like it's 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 genuine. It's just it's like when you see like someone who's had like really really good matches, like a Buddy Murphy or Mustafa Ali in the Andre Giant Memorial Battle Royal in modern day. You're like, come on, man! Like fuck's sake, you deserve yeah. better. Come on, yeah. And Taz. Taz should have been in that. Imagine the fatal four-way if it was like the the IC and the Euro title. I know you can't put everyone in a match, but like they put, they literally did on the show. There was no singles match. Taz in that IC match would have made that match a hell of a lot better, and it already was a good match. Joe, funny you say that. When we were actually discussing the idea about possibly um, what we would do, one of the matches that I would have actually had would have included Taz involved in that triple threat match and make it a fatal four-way because i felt storyline wise it makes a lot more sense considering that he debuted against kurt angle kurt angle's gone on to improve himself since and 
they've always had that little grudge between them. And I think storytelling wise, it made a lot more sense than Chris Benoit being involved. And this re- feels feels almost like a punishment for Taz that he's been dropped under the Hardcore Championship. Yes, he suits it, but considering the big premiere he had coming out of Royal Rumble, this feels like a real drop in quality and standard. Mm-hmm. Hey, for people who haven't been following with Spider-Man or Spider-Man Fury, let's go through the actual participants in this match. So you've got Crash Holly, the hardcore champion, who's got the 24-7 reel, and it really, he's really backfiring him because he's getting attacked everywhere until he can't take any more, and he promised to have this match at WrestleMania. So it's Crash defending against his cousin hardcore, the APA, Kai and Tai, the Mean Street Posse, the Headbangers, Taz, and Viscera, and I think that's everybody. And, <laughs> yeah, like, the thing with Taz, though, is that even though this is in California, there's a weird, like, there's obviously fans from all over the place coming for WrestleMania, and there's clearly some Philly or, like, ECW diehards coming this show because, you know, shit booking be damned because, like, Taz went from the from Royal Rumble to getting that really crap match with Bossman at No Way Out. Did they mix that with the European Intercontinental to then be dropped back to the hardcore title? And the fans are like, fuck the bad booking, we still love Taz. Because Taz, I think, gets the biggest pop out of all 15 guys that come out here, and that includes Crash, who didn't get as big a pop as I thought he would, given how over he's become with this hardcore gimmick. And so Crash jokes that there's going to be no title changes in the full 50 minutes. 30 seconds in, gets a Taz flex, Taz pins him for the hardcore title, and then another 30 seconds later, Viscera pins Taz after a slam, and Viscera holds on to the hardcore title. This is like yeah. 14 minutes in. Like, yeah, it's got 14 minutes left on the time limit. And then it gets around to seven-minute mark until Viscera loses it again. And weird fact about Viscera, this is only one of two titles he'd ever won in the WWF. This and a two-day raid of Tide Champ alongside Men on Mission on a UK tour when they weren't supposed to win them. Either of the Quebecers and the Quebecer that Mabel or Viscera pinned forgot to kick out. Yeah, I, I, I said, I think we have made this reference before on a, on a, on a Rogue review, uh, Scott. The bin bag is champ. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, and then I said the shopping trolley just reminds me of insert your local rough area here. Um, because if you, I don't know if this is maybe an Ireland thing, I'm sure it's a UK thing as well, but if you walk by a lake, there's like a 50% chance you'll see a shopping trolley peeking out of the top of it. Um, 75, 75 yeah, 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 and um, depending on what, depending on where you are, but yeah, um, there's just a few. There was a few cool moments like the Kai and Tai stuff that was funny. That kind of reminded me of like the 24-7 title. Um, I didn't really understand the point of Fruk bouncing off the ropes to hit this, to hit, I think it might have been Vista with a plank of wood. Like he just bounced yeah. off the ropes and then stopped and then just hit him with a plank of wood. Um, but yeah, this was like one of those things where like I was on my phone because it was early in the morning. I was like checking Twitter and I realized that I couldn't be on my phone for this match because I'd miss just every important moment because it just happened one after the other. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but maybe this was the palate cleanser that we needed, but yeah. I, I was surprised to see this match so early in the card as well. Yes. Yes. I didn't think it would open the show, but I think it would be I thought it'd be a lot higher further up the card than, than this. And like it's harder if you're just like at a home watch because if you're like higher up in the arena, you can maybe like look around, get a better view of things up until they go backstage for that brief moment. But like both Crash and Pete Gas end up getting busted open on this during this match. And I couldn't tell you how either happened because the camera doesn't show it. You just hear JR telling you that, they, that they're bleeding and the next thing you see, I'm like, oh, I still there. No idea oh, how yeah. it happened. There's no other camera angle that they can show you. Uh, and 
also everybody's like, like people aren't that keen to go after Visser and the commentator trying to save it by saying that all the two scared and everything and Dale Lord does feel that everybody's orbiting around Visser because he's so huge. <laughs> yeah, oh, I would I I would have swapped this in the Euro Continental match. I also like you talk about the CTE Central here, like people not properly not letting the like the, the like uh, stop signs and all sorts of weapons, like the big planks of wood, uh, trash can lids as well, the main weapons here. And the people, unsurprisingly, who are, aren't holding back, like especially are the fucking APA, because like Brad's like, ah, oh, fuck your concussions. He's a miserable bastard, and he decides that the only way to actually elicit a reaction from the crowd is basically to dole out more concussions than the entire NFL season. It's absolutely fucking ridiculous. Um, I'm going to save my thoughts until the end of this, ma- of, of this, if it's okay, because I have a lot of thoughts regarding the Hardcore Championship, and you're probably just going to have to let me go. So I'm going to hold back for a minute until we get to the end, if that's okay. Okay, um, what else did I say? I think when Vince was in the meeting for this match that he just said, lads, look at, uh, can, can you please all make eye contact with your friend? Okay, you're going to turn on each other tonight. That's what's going to happen. In the space of five minutes, you're, all your tag teams are going to be turning on each other for no reason. Um, yeah. I'll go through like uh, some more of the stuff and then I'll uh, re and give any, any last thoughts when I get to the finish and then we'll just sit back and enjoy whatever Sam thinks about this because uh, it's a weird. It's weird that cause I really think the APA or some of the guys that deserve, don't deserve to really be in this match because, like, the only reason they're here is that a bunch of guys were chasing crash and they go on SmackDown and they stumbled into a APA's office, crash fell on the table, knocking their cards and their beer over, and so they just decided to start joining in on the beatdown. The APA have started like developing the actual acolyte protection part of their gimmick with the office and the card games, and so like you really think they'd be in a problem. So I think them versus like. Uh, Bull and Bossman would have made more sense at the time, or them versus TNA maybe would have made a lot more sense. They don't really belong, I don't think, in this match, but yeah, they're probably not holding back. And then randomly, they beat up uh, Vistar, they get him down, but then they just grab Kai and Tai and throw them on them for some reason. Like, maybe they explained that maybe Kai and Tai slipped them some money before the match, and they did it. Maybe that's pretty good, but even though both members of Kai and Tai are on top of them, they announced Funaki as the champion, and that annoys Taka, so he chases I get all their app along with a bunch of other guys. And in the backstage, Rodney wins the title. And Joey Az gets angry, then attacks him and hits a slam on the concrete. Joey Az wins the title. Then Thrasher grabs him and, locks through, and does, takes the longest walk you've ever seen. Because I think they didn't realise that this metal door was as far away as it was. And he throws him into the door. Thrasher wins the, the hardcore title. Pete Gas sprays him and hits him with a fire extinguisher back on the ramp. He wins the title. And then quickly loses it back to Taz who clearly got hit a bit too hard because he tries to pin people while he's champion and the commentators don't know how to explain it. And then the Hollies spend ages trying to like pin Taz and they keep getting each other's way. Eventually Crash gets the pin on uh, Taz with like 30 seconds to go. Gets locked in Taz's mission. He's trying to hold on. Dale's got a candy jar for some reason, which Harker Holly steals. Smashes over, over their heads and... Pins crash, and what was most supposed to happen here is the countdown was coming down to zero, and it was meant to be as he was about to go down for three, the timer would run out, and because Crash got the pin, Crash would somehow retain his title. But there's a second left as he was going to go down, so he stops, because I think the timer on the screen, like I think Tim White got uh, somebody counting him down his ear, and somebody got it wrong. And so even though he didn't actually put them at for three, they had to announce Hardcore Holly as the winner. 
and it's weird because they because both always had the same music, so they're playing the music. Crashes leaving because he, he that's what he's supposed to do, and then they both of them look confused. And Parker Holly always looks miserable, but he looks especially miserable for someone who's just won a title at WrestleMania, which I think is actually the second year in a row Parker Holly's walked out of uh, of WrestleMania as Parker Champion. So, Ryan, any last thoughts on on this before we go to Sam? I'm going to hand it over to Sam with the fact that Jamie and I. Uh, I just said a crash Holly looks like Jamie Noble with bleach blonde hair. That's about <laughs> that's, that's about that's about it. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing Sam's thoughts on this. I have a lot more thoughts further down the card, but Sam has fired up the engines for this, so I'm looking forward to it. Before, before Sam gets his thoughts out on, just need to crack open another can, and I'm going to sit back and relax and enjoy this. Yep. Yeah, I'm going to put my okay. mic down for a few all right, let's start from the very beginning. I'm going to go through the entirety of this, basically, with everything I think about. So, for me, the Hardcore Championship has been one of the biggest highlights of the previous month. The 24-7 rule was an absolute masterstroke, and it's had some real chaotic energy to everything that occurs on SmackDown. You can guarantee any time it cuts to the Hardcore Championship, something exciting is going to happen. Now... I'm I'm glad to see the Hardcore Championship actually given the attention it deserves by appearing on WrestleMania because compared to the previous year when it was a really last-minute triple threat match between Billy Gunn, Al Snow, and fucking Hardcore Holly, this actually had a lot of build-up to it. Now, the range of superstars that are involved is quite strange to some degrees in that you ha- you can have ter- Taz come in with a very sort of reaction. You can have it that Fissura will enter the complete and utter silence. I even love the fact that when ha- the Holly music begins, the crowd is cheering, and then as soon as they see it's hardcore Holly, they stop completely. Um, I do agree in that the cr- uh, I was surprised that Crash didn't get as big a cheer as Taz, but I think that's because they'd already, like, started cheering realized it was hardcore stopped and then they were like now nah, i'm not embarrassing myself again um now the battle this is a battle war that lasts about 10 seconds as everyone basically enters and instantly gets out again and as mentioned already crash Holly is saying like oh maybe i can get away with not losing it at all and he loses it within 30 seconds now this is where jerry lawler displays the fact that he has the memory and the iq of a damn mollusk because his instant reaction is it's over it's over no, you fucking prat. You've just watched the rules being announced. Why do you think there's a timer on the fucking screen? You're not going to have an Iron Man match 30 minutes in going, well, we've done 30 minutes. Someone just scored a pinfall. I guess we'll just throw the other 30 minutes in the fucking bin, won't we? No, Lawler, you're fucking useless and I hate you. Now, 58 seconds in, you've obviously got it that Fissler has beat Taz, which I'm very surprised at because Fissler is basically hardly important to this match. He's a also ran, really. You notice that Taz gets, uh, there's a succession of boos that occurs as soon as Taz loses the title, which to me shows there was a connection to Taz. And I'm thinking to myself, this is where you really have to take advantage. You have a really good opportunity here. But the problem is, what seems to be missing during the early starts of this match, basically the first seven minutes, I'll say, is the kinetic energy of the Hardcore Championship. What's made the Hardcore Championship so successful recently is having it that anything can occur and you're running with it and people are trying to escape. But instead, this is just an everyday brawl around the ring and everyone's just meandering. I mean, JR isn't joking when he turns around and says it's like a brawl on paydays. And it just ends up really negating the positives of the 24-7 rule which is really disappointing, especially. Now, 
at one point you've got Fissura going up top, and at that point I think to myself, I'm about to see a Charlotte Flair moonsault, and I'm never going to think anything ever the same again about Fissura. But it makes sense to me when the acolytes are attacking him and get and put Funaki on top because the thinking behind that could be is that Fissura is a big ass bastard. It's taken everything they can to knock him down. They can't guarantee that they're going to be able to get the pinfall. So they put a smaller individual on top that they can take advantage of. It's just unfortunately that despite that being the cleverest thing the acolytes have ever done, they instantly just ignore him and then he runs away. So this it really negates the brilliance of the moment they've already done. But the moment Funaki starts running, it actually finally evokes the 24-7 style. And suddenly, seven minutes into the match, you've actually got some energy. You've actually got some enthusiasm. Suddenly, it feels like the hardcore division. Whereas before this, you could have picked it out of any brawl anywhere in the world, and you would not have been able to notice a difference. Now, obviously... Ryan, you've already mentioned about the fact that Kai and Tai Headbangers and Mean Street Posse are all turning on each other. And it's those moments that really adds to the insanity, especially considering mm-hmm. that in previous SmackDown episodes, they've been doing that anyway. And it really sells the importance of the championship. I mean, you even have Pete Gass with his own Steve Austin WrestleMania 13 moment, holding up the title, celebrating as he's pinned Thrasher and he's got a crimson mask. Now, of course, Hardcore Holly has to be such an idiot that he kicks Taz as he goes for the cover, but doesn't actually break the pin because Hardcore <laughs> Holly is a fucking idiot. Now, one of the best moments is actually in the latter half when you have Taz in the middle and he's defending against all comers and the crowd is getting behind him and it's making him look impressive. And the cheer when he looks in that Taz mission on Crash Holly says to me, there was something there with Taz and they completely wasted it. Now, Unfortunately, there's not just one fuck-up, there are two fuck-ups. The first fuck-up is that Tim White counts the free count for Crash, even though Taz's shoulder is already up. And then in the final moment, Hardcore Holly pins Crash too soon. Now, you obviously got JR trying to cover for the mess-up, saying Crash has gotten his shoulder up. But you have it. Hardcore Holly has missed his cue. Crash hasn't kicked out. Tim White has, hasn't counted for a free count that actually should have happened. You've basically got about two minutes of absolute clusterfucks that ends up leaving this a complete and utter mess. So, at the end of it, what you've gained in your first half an hour of an actual WrestleMania is a first match which is pure and utter l- lethargic and a second match that ends so poorly I can only imagine Vince McMahon is busting a fucking blood vessel and all it ends up being is a disappointment because all of the positives of the hardcore championship in the month leading up to this has been completely negated for a match that doesn't suit it. And I just feel that they could have done so much better with this. This could have given the hardcore championship really good attention, but the moment they put a time limit and the moment they have it based in the ring, I feel negates it. They should have started, like, say, with no time limit. They should have started, like, say, outside of the arena. And basically, whoever... Just, straight, just Sorry, just just straight up clusterfuck. Yeah. What is this number? It's a straight up clusterfuck. They should, should have just got it that, basically, whoever gets to the ring at any point in this event with the title is the champion. And then you can have it cutting back and forth between matches and that sort of thing, seeing actions occur, giving that real chaotic energy that suits it. You can have Crash Holly trying to hide as he's getting up into like the next section of the arena. You can have an APA stood outside an entrance saying like, 
if that motherfucker comes through here, we're going to smash him up and absolutely take that title. And you have Hardcore Holly come out on commentary, and everyone's like, oh, you're actually going to talk? He's like, nah, I'm just going to get a little son bitch as soon as he comes out. I'm going to beat the crap out of him. Yeah, it this, just... sorry, this doesn't apply because it's a it, the movie came out after a long time after Mania, but like like a Hunger Games style, like hardcore title matches, and just like everyone's trying to hide from each other. It's basically everyone thinks it's fight to the death. It's me against the rest of them, and no matter, there's no friends anymore. Just maybe there's a movie reference. I'm not a movie guy. Maybe there's a movie reference from before 2000 that might explain this better. But just fight to the death, everyone against themselves. Uh, I don't care. I'm winning that title at all costs, and just have it be like, yeah, arena wide cluster fuck. Have someone like find. There must be some sort of like pond or something outside. Maybe just have someone like yeeted into the pond by Taz or something. Something mad like that. Something that really speaks to the actual hardcore division, because at the moment, all you're doing is presenting nothing that has changed since the previous year. See, like, the way you guys are describing it, it's basically what happens at Mania 18, with the hardcore yeah. table, with the muck on the table changes throughout the night. Basically, it would have made a lot more sense here than it did at Mania 18, because, you know, Mania 18, the hardcore table was on its last legs. It wasn't fresh, 24-7 thing anymore. And so I think that was the last effort to make against him, but they should have done that a lot. Uh, differently, they should have done it a lot earlier. And uh, yeah, like, I don't know why they didn't go backstage uh, a lot sooner or spend more time back there because that's where most of the stuff ends up happening is outside of the area. We had that skits like the laundry mat or the airport or Fun Time USA. And like, I know like a lot of fans like the two massive screens for a reason. Have everybody watch them considering that the next year's hardcore title match, ninety percent of it takes place backstage. And even though the portion of the table, and, you know, most of it's on the ramp or outside the ring, like there's like, I think you can count less than a minute of WrestleMania X7 hardcore title match that takes place in the fucking ring. And yeah, the botch, I can see why they want to end this way with Crash, hardcore pinning Crash, but then just Crash survives just like by a second, because it would annoy hardcore, because clearly hardcore is jealous that Crash is the hardcore champion, he wants to be the champion. But then now you had to end it with hardcore because somebody fucked up and it doesn't help they keep showing the replays from that same angle, which clearly show Tim White's hand not going down and not hitting them that. And so you've got Hardcore, who's been basically beating up Crash, bullying him since before Crash even was Hardcore champion. Basically, the bully ends up winning at the end of the day when Crash is maybe the babyface that everybody gets behind because, you know, the, the Elwood Jets and the WWF ends up losing the title and then looking like an idiot because he walked out with the title and then have only for Tim White to come to take it off him and give it to, to Hardcore. And I actually meant to say, like, in my notes, I don't think I probably know it, but I did mean to say, like, yeah, I noticed that as well when Hardcore came up. People were like, hey, oh, that's the other one. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, like just... When, like when Vince and Shane both came out to no chance, people weren't sure whether they're popular or not, especially the following year when they're shooting. It wasn't the worst match tonight, but it could have been better. It's probably a good sentence to describe it. Oh, it's a lot better than... It's a lot better than the fucking match we're about to talk about, and I'm sorry um, if, it, if it hurts your feelings, but fuck me, this next match. It, you can tell that the next match is bad, because I'm not even going to disagree. <laughs> we, uh, we get a brief thing of uh, fan access, obviously WrestleMania access is a big thing now, a big part of WrestleMania, obviously not now, the last yeah. couple of years because of uh, COVID and everything. But, you know, you have people going around meeting people, Every, basically, everybody in the interview says the exact same thing. You know, it's just great to interact with all our fans and all that. And then you've got this massive line for 
for a signing with Trish, Tessa and Albert. <laughs> and like, you know for a fact, nobody's there for a Tessa or Albert or a graph test. You know, you're like... No, there's I'll, even... I, I actually have notes here, because there's even a point where like, someone's taking a photo with uh, with um, Trish, and Albert's like leaning in. <laughs> Like trying to get into the phone as if he's just not meant to be there. I also had the funniest thing for me was the different level of like you, you Scott, you said everyone was saying the same, they were, but there was different levels of I give a fuck in their voice. And you yeah. could clearly tell. It was great. Like Jericho is always always an ultimate professional, he's trying to sell it. China just didn't give a fuck. Um and like know. and then there was like the rock is just naturally charismatic. And then we also had the Michael Cole commentary thing, and I was just with hindsight, it's so funny because I'd say ninety percent of those fans were better at commentary than Michael Cole. <laughs> I mean, well, it, it helps to be fair that they don't have Vince McMahon in his ear saying, "Talk about the network, talk about the network, talk about <laughs> touting, talk about tweeting." Instead, you actually have people having natural reactions, and it, you, I, I can only gather that they must have gone for about fifteen different people trying to get a comment, and the only one they had left was the one who said, "Talking with Michael Cole was really awesome." <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, no, that, that was definitely the one good kick they got out of the twenty. <laughs> yeah, you talk about like Michael Cole, like he's not got skin in chest. So hopefully, if you were there, and I'd love to like do a thing where you get to call out a wrestling match, but like you have to hope that like given Vince wasn't you know, even though it's only early into Michael Cole's career, that you're talking to more you know UK tournament greetings, Scrabble fans, Michael Cole, who's actually good rather than you know usual Michael Cole. But to go back to Tessa and Albert for a second. Here's a, a random tangent, and please follow along with me on the story because it'll become relevant in a second. I went to a, a signing once at uh, the Bridge Shopping Centre in Glasgow, and it was a new one comics, and it was Ted DiBiase, Roddy Piper, and Tatanka. And this nice. was in like 2011, 2012. I get to pay money again, and I wanted to pay to get a, 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 an autograph from all three of them because I printed off like images of them from the internet to get signed. I only had enough for two, and so I didn't get an autograph from Tatanka, and which I felt bad for even now. But so I went up, I got an autograph from Teddy Bias. He was at the first table. There's a table in the middle with Tatanka. He's just standing upright, and then there's Roddy Piper. And so I paid my money, and Roddy Piper's still like signing for some reason. I'm just standing there waiting. And I look over to Tatanka, and it's clear that people take photos. I've been asking to take photos of him, not with him. And it's clear that out of all three of them, he's the one getting the few people to actually pay to sign, to get a signature from him. And so I'm standing there waiting for Roddy Piper to finish the person for the person he's signing for. And I just look over at Tanka and he just smiles at me. And I just kind of nod by like, 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 hello. And I hear something like, oh, God, I feel so bad. And like, Tanka is basically what Tess and Alba are here. People just politely nod to him like, hi, hi. Trish, please sign this thing for me, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's, it's like... It's like Tess is like nodding, and it's like I'm here for her boobs. Goodbye. I mean, <laughs> just, just just accept you're the asparagus on the side of my steak dinner. All yeah. right? and, that, and that steak dinner is a blonde, uh, luscious beauty on top of it. So just move to the side, please. Like, pff, unless they are so unobservant or so egotistical that they don't realize it, um, they just they just got to roll with it because unfortunately, it's round about the attitude era. And boob sells. There's a reason why the first shot of Trish when she's coming out to the ring wasn't her face, and it got the biggest <laughs> pop of the fucking night. Yeah, can we just say? Well, me and 
me and Sam were, were that we were just in the mindset of wrestling fans back in the 2000s. That wasn't our act. It might be our actual opinion, but in public, it's not our actual opinion. <laughs> I'm actually a very well-behaved gentleman, but Trish does bad things to me from the point of view of a 10-year-old at the time. So please <laughs> excuse my burgeoning puberty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't understand it is, but I wasn't well, even born when this pay-per-view happened. <laughs> Can we just drop that in? I, I'm pretty sure I've got older underwear than you, so please, let's move on. <laughs> uh, but I also from this act is we get a brief shot of Undertaker dressed kind of like he will when he comes back as the American Badass. Also, uh, Shawn Michaels is there as a fan yells into the camera as my dog is barking because he clearly doesn't like Shawn Michaels. But uh, he who does he uh, Shawn's there and he's like he's blazer looking like a drug dealer from a Miami Vice episode. And as a fan who's just got his autograph, she has on the camera. Bring him back, Vince. Like it's not really up to events, it's up to the fact that Sean's back is fucked and also he's a still a massive junkie at the time. No, let's be honest. If he'd been any higher, Superman would have had to ask him for directions. He was fucking out of it. And he I respect was... it. <laughs> hey, if he's paid for it, so be it. He's he's obviously earned enough money that he can pay for it, but you wouldn't trust him to cut a promo, let alone go in the fucking ring. I'm not sure I'd even trust him to look after a plastic plant in that stage. I thought I thought you were to say I thought you were say I wouldn't trust him to cut. Uh, he couldn't cut. I wouldn't trust him to cut cocaine. I was like, well, we're going into that kind of job. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I mean, it's not just that he's been, he's been a major influence on people in wrestling. He's always, it's also the fact that he's always he spent a lot of time under the influence. It'd be easier really? if I was able to get that out the first fucking time. You know, he's a major influence on Jeff Hardy. I don't mean in terms of wrestling. No. <laughs> hey, oh, Jeff. Jeff put in the MVP. It. Jeff put in one of the performances tonight here. Let's put some respect on his name for tonight. Hey, it's not like the list is fucking long in terms of great performances. It's not like <laughs> you said I said, oh, this was a Royal Rumble and he was one of the top three competitors. You're saying this is WrestleMania, one of the worst WrestleManias we've ever seen, and he's in the top ten of performers. And to be fair, if you ask me who the other nine is, I might struggle to count up numbers, but I'm definitely going to say it's not as impressive. There was a lot of wrestlers on this character, Jesus. And a cheese, man. Yeah, and and a referee who wasn't a referee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, but, Sean, oh, Sean Morley. Jesus, we'll get on to him. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, we get that shot of Trish as she's saying that we're going to give WrestleMania some TNA. And then we get uh, we Al Snow backstage in the bathroom talking to somebody in there to like, keep quiet. And Steve Blackman's obviously suspicious of what he's up to. He's like, oh, well, let's be serious. This is WrestleMania. And the, he leaves. And uh, you hear the toilet flushing while they're talking. And so after Steve Lee's like, you keep it down in there. And for God's <laughs> sake. I was about to say, put a candle on or something. And uh, and then he comes out and Al brings out the uh, the head cheese mascot, Chester McCheeserton, who is just basically a little person dressed as a block of cheese. Uh, I'm going to go through some of the notes I made for this match, but I'll give it any actual thoughts. It's more a play-by-play kind of thing. Give you Let you two speak your thoughts, and then I'll give mine at the end. So... We have this match, the big Chester McCheese and who's kind of a long try to get the crowd involved, chanting, hey, cheese. Uh, JR's headset big fucks up at one point, so we're left with J- Jerry the King Waller to carry the match for like a minute. Which... Yeah, maybe maybe Jerry's boner hit off the mic, and that's what happened. <laughs> he, claims he, that he, cool. a, he claims he was pulling out a spare headset in case uh, Trish wanted to join them for commentary, and somehow he claimed that is what fucked with the interference of... Uh, of JR's headset, but you know, JR, when he comes back in, he says, You didn't mess it up too much, did you? 
while I was fixing my headset as if he couldn't hear Jerry talking while he was sat right next to him. But nobody care, seems to care who the fuck legal in this match. Al Snow gets hit with a, a spinebuster from uh, from Albert, which is, I think he's meant to take him out. Gets right back up so he can then be clotheslined over the top instead of just rolling out the ring. And then quickly cuts back in to see Blackman. They hit their leg drop, a backbreaker combo on Tess, but it gets broken up. Al does a, a minsault on the outside. But he basically gets sent into the guard. We always see Blackman isolated. So he has, TNA hit a slam, followed by a really impressive elbow drop from Tess. He doesn't get enough credit for his elbow drop. TNA win in seven minutes and three seconds. Tess uh, McCheese then keeps uh, trying to go around and touch uh, Trish's ass. Which gives them the nickname Chester the Molester from Daryl Lawler. <laughs> take one oh, the f- fucking irony in that com- comment. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. The face irony. takes money, no one does not go far enough to explain that. <laughs> but, oh. uh, then we have uh, Al very angrily, like, I'm so, and like they're pointing at Chester, like, I'm sorry, I thought it'd be great. And they bring Chester in, and then he goes, maybe it's time we cut the cheese. And they beat up Chester. And they hit their, their tag finisher on the backbreaker with the leg drop. And Hedges gets booed out of the fucking building for that. Uh, Rhea, I'll go to you first, then I'll go to Sam, who I know, you know, Blackman's one of your boys, and then I'll come back to me for my overall thoughts on this. So, Ian, uh, your thoughts on this? Okay, I have two comments. Um, ha, 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 Blackman is so fucking boring. That's number one. Um, sorry, Sam. As I just my side all over me because of the timing of that. Thank you. Um, and then I'm not one to nitpick, <laughs> but I found this so funny. The, the, the mic shot to the head doesn't hit him in the head. It just hits the top of the cheese costume. <laughs> and he falls. It's fucking... Yeah, okay, that's an indirect put, but you get what I mean. It literally just hits the, the sponge and he decks it. It's so funny. I felt it was like, you know what? Like, he, <laughs> I just it didn't connect with him whatsoever. It just looked like the sheet, the top of the triangle, the tip of the triangle just folded back and he's dead. Hey, like, we all we all know the tip is delicate, all right? <laughs> so <laughs> he went through one of the. Uh, he, he was a lovely bit of Swiss cheese. The yeah. mic went through one of the holes, but now. To be honest, any, any holes are gone. Any holes are gone. Jerry can attest. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. Listen, I like. I I remember me and Scott were discussing this. I like the dynamic between black. Like all jokes said, I like the dynamic between Blackman and Al Snow. It was kind of interesting, and it was like it was kind of like sometimes you have like complete. There's when booked right, polar opposites being a tag team does work. It has had a track record of working. Like Kane and X Pack was quite entertaining, and we'll get onto that kind of story later. But it just—it was again. It just—I don't know if it's because I didn't watch the build-up to it, but it just felt like like you could have put a really good work-rate singles match in here instead. To be honest, you probably know as much about the build-up as we fucking do because it was basically. Um, Test and Albert got hit with candlesticks. Um, and Steve and Steve Platman said the uh, greatest line ever, where he points at Trish Stratus and just goes, "You, damn!" and just walks away. Uh, he's he's so flummoxed by her beauty that he can't even come out with his line. It's brilliant. Um, I I know I 
I am a very, very huge Head Cheese fan, and I know that I'm probably their only huge Head Cheese fan. I remember watching them when this first came out, which really ages me. Um, and they just like they were one of the first ever teams that I enjoyed the segments as opposed to just the matches because. Mm-hmm. You had a very straight lay Steve Blackman, and you had Al Snow, who literally he could do fucking anything, and you'd be like, "Yeah, that's that's legit." It's like if you w- if you went into space and you saw Jack Black eating Cheetos off of Mars or something like that, you'd be like, "Yeah, that sounds like Jack Black." That's Al Snow in the WWE, you know. Um, so I love the two of them together, but even despite that like before the match I was like, "Yes, we need something to save this show," and I thought I can at least enjoy this match. Um, I thought this match was absolutely appalling. I thought it was. I thought it was appalling. Um, so even with um, so, first of all, let's look at the audio audio issues. Um, the fact that Jerry Lauder even references it, and I know this is a very small thing, it says to me how inadequate he is as an actual commentator. Because rather than being able to focus on the match and actually carry it, he has to focus on the audio issues because he's incapable of actually being a good commentator. And this is one of the things when I say that Jerry Lauder is probably the most annoying person for me. Every decision and every comment he makes tonight seems to be the wrong one in terms of actually being positive. And this was a real big sign when at this point I was going... Lola, you are fucking awful. But oh, he, it, it, it's a broken record to say that he's just over overly sexual. But like, it takes you, it takes you out of match more than you think. It, it, it like, because like you, you was like people have made like sly comments here, but it just it takes you completely out of match. Yeah, it, especially when you contrast it with. It's going to sound like a really um, random example, but. If you compared him to, say, Joey Styles, who is the combination of both of them in that he can do the straight-laced, um, off-the-cuff discussion of the matchup, giving the background, telling you what the moves are, etc. But then when it comes to sexualized antics, he can do that silly style. Like, there's a reason why he's renowned for going, Cafe! really loudly. I mean, he could have actually been a benefit to this fucking pay-per-view as opposed to Jerry Lawler. But he has that balance, whereas Jerry Lawler is 2-1-0, and he really detracts from the matches that he does. And if we go, just going on this match. So this match is sloppy. There seems to be timing issues. Theodore Long, as the referee, seems to have no fucking clue when to count for it. It feels like there was four wrestlers in the ring and none of them knew how to lead it. And it says something when JR refers to it as bowling shoot ugly, which is basically his way of saying this match is shite. And as much as I enjoy head cheese, this was an awful match. And it says everything when the finish was more of a relief than it was a celebration. And you know what's on this account so far, you could legitimately say that this WrestleMania was more like a disappointing episode of Sunday Night Heat. And I also, as a last thing, I think the post-match attack on Chester was a mistake because Hedgies would be gaining traction with the crowd. They were actually getting somewhere and people were liking them. And then this is almost them turning heel. And I actually think that was a huge huge booking mistake especially like scott said when they were booed out of the building they weren't booed out of the building because they were good heels they were booed out of the building because they disagreed with the decision that was made because these two were connecting with the crowd this match was already bad enough and this was just a shit sandwich on top of the shit pile of the fucking meal that had been served to us so far yeah maybe maybe i'm wrong with this because when you said that a couple of sentences where you were like 
when you're like, yeah, they, they shouldn't have broke them up. They were really hot as a baby-faced duo. Maybe they had tapered off by, I'm going to go Enzo and Cass here. It was quite similar to that where they're like, they were selling t-shirts. They were a big, big duo. They, everything they did, they were in segments with you. And they brought, like, I know they wanted to do that big angle, like breaking them up. But like, or, turn, or, or like turning one of them heel, but like it just didn't work in that kind of in 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 that time. That they, if they, if they left if, if if they left it maybe two months, if like they had Blackman and Thing, and maybe have Blackman and um, Snow turn on Cheese at like SummerSlam, like that would have been just given two months of like just really really good segments of them as faces. Because when you make them heels, you can't really do them segments anymore. You kind no, you... you you, you kind of corner yourself. Um, and I, 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 I just made that comparison of give them two months more, and then the, and then the, whatever the heel turn would have been a little bit more impactful. Plus, you would have got the babyface good stuff as well. Yeah, I think the problem with WWE is basically that any time a tag team starts getting successful, the initial uh, reaction seems to be who can be the breakout star. And Vince McMahon is renowned for having said, why would I pay for two people when I can have one? And he doesn't, he's never had a true appreciation for any tag team. Really. Um, the, he, he seems to have it basically he puts people together. And if one of them starts getting popular or anything like that, starts getting a reaction, either they get told off because they weren't supposed to, or they get split up. And this is really disappointing. I mean, like, even says something in the lead up to WrestleMania, we were, me and Scott were talking about um, Edge and Christian being primed up for a breakup. And this is exactly how WWE is at this time, is that the tag teams you want to succeed, they're trying to break up. And the tag teams you don't, comp- you don't really compare about, uh, care about, like DX, stay around long, longer than the fucking Stone Age. It's just like, there's... The tag team division has always been negatively treated regardless of whether or not it's the title holders or it's just any team in there. And this is really a really good example of it in that you can have a team that's gaining traction and a team that's gaining really good heat. And you're going to end up having it that the first team you're going to break up and the team that's uh, becoming good heels, you're going to absolutely distract from them and focus on the Fale instead. Because unfortunately, as we'll see in the next segment, uh, what's most important is boobs, a vagina, and a propensity for nudity. <laughs> they are the they are the three um, three main elements of uh, it, intensity, integrity, intelligence can get fucked. Boobs, tits, boobs, ass, and just Jerry Lawler are the three yeah the, the three pillars of uh, WWE in two thousand. Yeah, if I may, if I may, I'll give my thoughts here. Now, Sam, going into it, I wanted to have some positive things to say. Because I know I've been shitting on Steve Buckman because he's the plain toast of wrestling as I stand by. Ralph Snow, objectively, is a good worker, even though he's a prick. So that time that my brother did an interview with him and he'd say he'd do it over Messenger because he couldn't be asked to do it over Skype. And to say he'd do the interview while he was fucking driving. And I had to edit that interview with some of the worst sound quality I've ever fucking heard. <clears throat> I put that bias aside. You know, he's a prick. Tess and Albert, they are better workers than they get Kim Cooper. I mean, there's a reason Albert's away in Japan and it's a trainer at the Performance Center and has been for a number of years. And you know what? No, two up-and-coming teams, or at least should be up-and-coming teams, going after the biggest show of the year. There could be good, some good stuff here. Let's put aside the fact that uh, Terry Wong is hosting, is representing a team match player. Uh, but, like, the fact that, yeah, nobody can seem to lead this 
match I, I put here, here's a couple of notes I didn't mention earlier on, I put here, clusterfuck, guys stopping covers for no reason, who the fuck is legal? And, like, yeah, talk about jail, well, the fact that even, like, all you can really say when he's, he's clearly scrambling because also they weren't expecting JR's headset to fuck up, it's like, ah, oh, it's my time to say, I'll take over. And then all he really does talks about, not, it's not about the match, it's about Trish. As soon as JR's headset is working, he's talking, he's, he's saying, calling spots, like, oh, he had that move and that move, and, like, Blackman that yet isn't for me, but you know, there even there even been a show episode of SmackDown where a couple of weeks ago it was so bad that one of the suggestions I made for things to check out was in a segment involving Blackman, which isn't something I would usually do. And he would call me out on that. Yeah. But like you said anything like they brought out chest and cheese and they helped like fire the crowd up, you know, chatting head cheese because like in the beginning they technically were a heel team, but they got over, so then Al's turned back face because Al had only been heel a few months after portraying Mick Foley. And so, like, this is maybe a thing, like, they're building traction, you know, even though uh, Steve Biden doesn't like the name Head Cheese, fans, arenas all over the world, the country are, like, chatting Head Cheese. The crowd were fucking silent here. They chatted Head Cheese a little bit with Chester at the start of the match. But through the match, I was expecting Head Cheese chants, you know, to annoy Steve Blackman. Nothing. The crowd were silent. They didn't give a fuck. Clearly, something had went wrong here with Head Cheese. And then it didn't help yet that they attacked... Yes, otherwards, and the fact that it was Al Snow, the face, the guy who's trying to, you know, help Steve Latman show some personality, is the one that initiates the beatdown of Chester. It should have been either Steve attacks them and Al, and Al just goes along with it, or it's Steve Blackman that attacks Al Snow, because Al is the over one of the team, even no matter what they try to do with Steve. Because, like, I, I don't mind the idea of the, the, the odd couple team, you know, well, he's wacky, he's boring, they're the original odd couple. Like, but. Steve Blackman just doesn't do it for me in a lot of segments. You know, they've been fine, but not overly as entertaining. I don't find them as much as you do. And, like, it's kind of... I kind of think that uh, TNA should have won, even though looking at this match, like, who clearly messed up? Why is this not on Sunday Night Heat? But maybe the fact that Crane was dead and was booing solidly after the match was maybe because that was three matches in a row at WrestleMania where heels won. Bossman and Bill Buchanan, heels, they won their match. Hardcore Holly walked out of the Hardcore Tail match, even though he wasn't meant to, as a heel, and as a champion, and he's a heel. And TNA, another group of heels, won this match. And even the next match, even though they're kind of over, they're still a team that's kind of, now, as we've seen the last couple weeks, are a bit of a tweener team, and they're going to go full heel in the weeks following WrestleMania, win the next match. So I think the main thing that goes against WrestleMania 2000, as we're clearly seeing, is that the baby faces are all getting fucking screwed here. Yep. Uh, yeah. that's all I can say as someone who was looking at it from the outside I always like I always like that I can add I, I, I can contrast my casual uh, unknowledgeable opinion against your guys opinion of uh, of like uh, like actually knowing like the intricacies of how WWE was working back then and I just saw that I noticed that like I was waiting for that baby face win it just didn't mm. come <laughs> it, it's just something that it takes like over halfway through the pay per view, there's there's nine matches in total, and we have to go over four it before we even have the hint of a babyface victory. And unfortunately, it's not even that surprising because it basically epitomizes uh, the entire show as a total is going to be that you're going to be disappointed. Now, it's bad enough you're going to be disappointed by the results that are going to occur. Don't have us disappointed by the fucking match quality because you can at least take a heel winning if the match is good. Like 
one of the most underrated matches I feel in terms of really deserves more attention for how fucking good it is, is Brock Lesnar versus Kurt Angle in the 60-minute Ironman match on SmackDown. Mm-hmm. And Brock Lesnar wins that, but it is, but he is so fucking good, and Kurt Angle is just as fucking good, that you're gutted, but don't mind because of how good the quality is. And sometimes you can get away with a heel winning if you have a good match to back it up. But in this situation, we are three matches into WrestleMania and it doesn't even feel like a good episode of Sunday Night Heat. And all you're getting is the bad guys winning and the crowd, to some degrees, are being punished for it every time. Because God forbid you should get invested. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then we got backstage to <laughs> Sorry, do you want to say something? I'm just saying, um, I, I, my, one of my notes here is the obvious lengths they will go to for innuendos is incredible. It's not even just innuendo. They're just like, they're like sitting at the writer's says like, how obvious can we make this while also trying to be subtle? Are they stupid or are they just bad at innuendo? It's so <laughs> funny. Let's be honest, they just recently watched Austin Powers for the first time and they decided they needed to create a one-minute segment designed for 16-year-old boys to overindulge in their joysticks and use up a box of tissues. Yeah, I did say there probably was a lot of lads going, uh, right, lads, I'm, I'm like in the crowd, I'm going for a beer. I was like, the beer closed like 20 minutes ago. That's grand. I'll go and check if it's, I'll go and check if it's still open. <laughs> Yeah, you never know. They could they could have a couple of beers still going. They'll go, do you know what? Because you're so nice, we'll let you have it for half price. Um, yeah, that's never going to fucking happen, let's be honest. So um, before, you, before you go to the bathroom to fucking annihilate the bathroom with your with your urges after watching Cass fully naked in, in a dressing room. I mean, like, yeah, like, I'm going to go get a beer. You just sat down with a full one. Yeah, but I fancy another one, you know. It's like, the, it's like the Kevin Bridges joke. When they come back, they're gonna be like, they're gonna be like examined, being like, it was too long to be a piss, but it wasn't a lot long enough to be a shit. What were you at? And the only way you can get out of it is by saying it was a ghosty. <laughs> like, yeah. Next up, we have a comedy get with the cat and me young. Basically, every every so often, like cat's clearly naked. Every time she turns around, May's hand is strategically in place to stop her seeing her boobs. Or she stands up. And May's got a, she's got a shirt up covering her uh, downstairs region. Uh, and as Jerry Lawler yells, move the shirt as he's talking, she's talking about using it. And the fact that it's got a cat on it and Kevin Sibling where it's covering up, you know, comedy. I mean, yeah, Austin Powers may have used it to good effect only a few years earlier. But it's this feels watching it like, how old, how old was the last comedy that Vince or whoever put this fucking together watched? This feels out of date for fucking 2000. <laughs> The two, the two water bottles where I kind of went, that's just a bit. Yeah. Like, just at least have like a towel or something or something like sure. Like, because the two water bottles is just like, when she was like, can I have a drink? And you just hand her two water bottles. I was just like, that is reaching. Like, and I tell some bad jokes, but that is reaching just to yeah. show off her. Vince is like, we're getting both of her boobs in this shot and we are do, but we don't want her. We don't want to expose her fully. So we need to do everything we can to get them in there. He obviously misinterpreted when someone said, should we uh, do a shot of a reach around? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'm <laughs> we've been walking through this very terrible fucking desert of fucking head cheese and wherever the, that clusterfuck of the hardcore table was. 
But now we have the Oasis in front of us as the Dudleys are being interviewed for their upcoming ladder match. Great and promo. Bubba Ray promises to take the ladder match and the WWF to a whole new level and God, how right he was and he didn't even know it. Yeah, and, no, the, this promo was amazing. This was fantastic. I, I know, just that, you know, that thing that just, it was perfect because there's always a situation in a pay-per-view where like you're kind of, you're in a bit of a lull and this was definitely it. And that promo just gets you hyped. Like I put my phone away. I sat up. I was like, yes, please. I'm ready to be educated on why, why what we see today, even though it's mainly bastardized ladder matches is what we see today. And this, I, I have a lot of, I have a lot of, uh, of comparisons between modern day and, and, and this match in this, but I, I want to review it for how it was. Cause this was fantastic all around. Because, like, going into this, what I think it also negatively affects some of the matches is that there's a, a strong lack of video packages to really help you get hate. But it helps when you've got people cutting promos like this before their matches, and then you get the little flash to heat where Edge and Christian apparently interrupted a Hardy's promo. So later on, Edge and Christian being interviewed, and they're sitting up on the ladders, and the Hardys come out to the ring to interrupt them, and there's a bit of a brawl between them. And then we have the, the triangle ladder match, and as I say, going out, the Hardys are the clear faces, Dudleys are the clear heels of another. Those damn Dudleys, as JR has been calling them, but Edge and Christian have a teasing kind of going and they're in the kind of in the middle and they're going to, they haven't went full heel yet. Which is, but they're already more interested in the last week or so with tweeners because they were fucking boring as fuck as spaces. Uh, I tell you that. And I can't wait for them to go fully heel. But yeah, this is the match that even though I was already hate going in because I know this is the one match everybody talks about in terms of what matches are good on this show, I was uh, it really helped to have Bubba Ray's promo because then a lot of people talk about his promos is Billy Ray and how good they are. But you know, as Bubba even like you know, he's got that weird like southern accent. You know, Tonight we have a ladder match. <laughs> he's still yeah. got good promos. And what is weird about this match is that I was interesting going into is that like, everybody talks about TLC and everything and like the series of matches between these three teams. But it seems to be because the highlight packages they show this match the least. And that was evident with some of the spots I've seen this because like the one spot they ever really replay from this match is the is the spot with Jeff from that mm. massive ladder in the in the entrance ramp and maybe the finish and that's it from this match which is surprising. Yeah, I really enjoyed one of my things I enjoyed from the first five minutes of the match was Devon talking. It's mm. so Devon talking mid match is one of the funniest things. <laughs> he just doesn't stop. He just start, he's just screaming every time he's punching someone. It's brilliant. I loved it. And I think one of the underrated parts about this match is the selling. I know it's kind of like a thing. Like I know it's kind of like a given that they they sell, but like each man really sold. Like not wanting to be hit by a ladder, and when they were hit by a ladder, they sold it like death. And even one thing that I think falls down in ladder matches is when someone hits a move on the ladder, the person who hits the move rare. Like sometimes it can get lost because the person who hits the move doesn't sell it as well. But mm-hmm. even in this match, if you like, if Someone hit like I think it might have been Bubba hit a um a swanton or, or it might have been just like a it might have been a ball it was a back body drop and he sold it like it was like his back had broke broken like whereas opposed to like if someone hit that like I can see someone hitting that modern day and just like not no selling it completely because they're the one that hit the move and they're on the offense so that's two things that I got straight off the bat. Yeah, I think that's a really vital thing that you mentioned, actually, because um, I I have quite a lot of thoughts in regards to this match, which I'm sure surprises no single fucker in the nearby vicinity. Um, but one of the things I absolutely love is the the build upon 
each section as it goes along. I'm gonna I'm gonna be discussing it in detail a little bit later on in terms of it's almost like Helm's Deep to some degrees in terms of a wrestling match. But one of the best things is that they really sell the extent to which they're willing to hurt themselves in order to achieve something. The risk really gets sold very well through the multiple stages they go. And you end up thinking to yourself that they're not only hurting their opponent, but they're willing to hurt themselves because that's how far they have to go. And I I have a lot of thoughts about this one that would be easier to do in a huge big statement at the end, unsurprisingly. But um, (laughs) this match was definitely one of them that... I'm I'm going to say I'm going to say it. We're 60 minutes and four matches in, but we finally have a match worthy of WrestleMania, and it saves the entire show because the crowd was dying, and they needed something to inject yeah. some enthusiasm into them. And I legitimately believe if you pick this match out of the entire show, this could probably be up there with one, with the worst WrestleMania of all time because there was so much deadness to it. The, and this was the defibrillator that brought them back to life. Yeah, if you have a if you had a frequency chart, the, the crowd peaked here. Like completely. Mm. This was like I had one of my notes said, you don't get a crowd like this anymore. In this match, you don't get a crowd like this anymore because the crowd was electric. Um one of the things I had as well is the tables, the tables break so much better back then. The splintering that goes everywhere, like you don't get that anymore because they're quite like they're quite well man. Like I think it might be they just might be well manufactured. But the fact when whenever anyone whenever they put um I think it was Matt went through a table, the splinters just went everywhere. And that's one of them that's one of them things I think um people mention it in relation to kind of death matches. The most relatable stuff is like let walking on Lego or getting a thumbtack because mm-hmm. people can relate to being at home and getting like walking on Lego. Whereas when you see the splinters going everywhere, when Matt Hardy got put through the table, sorry if Scott's going to go through play-by-play, but um, when you see the splinters going everywhere, that in it, that got a reaction from me because everyone's had a splinter before. Whereas now with the tables, it's just a clean break in half. And I just noticed <laughs> that like everything just made it look, feel like I felt pain watching this match. And you needed to because you needed to understand that these guys were putting their life on the line because WWE hammer home the point of this shortens careers Every match Sean's career these days, but it's such a thrown around catchphrase now. But when you see the splinter fly everywhere and the ladders and people like Je- like Jeff leaving his knees behind on a ladder, that initiates that reaction. Whereas today, it just seems like a catchphrase that's completely lost. Uh, funny you say that because I it, it it's going to seem like a real example, but it's very much similar to the cardiovascular of um, wrestlers nowadays. If you had it. So when we're watching these events nowadays, one thing that you'll notice is that after 10 minutes, they start breathing heavily. They're struggling with the pacing and it makes it more of a battle in order to try and try and actually get to victory. And that is really evocative with the crowd because you can feel the struggles that they're going through. If they get to like 20 minutes and they're still battling to try and win the, win the match. It's, it really sells it because they're sweating, they're struggling, they're a little bit slower. Whereas nowadays you can have it that John Cena can go 60 minutes in a uh, main event, but because of how, good as car- cardiovascular is and Seth Rollins is facing them etc yes they don't really sell the overall efforts of the match it's too clean they're I too think, dis- I, I think the wrestler that does it best these days and he's one of my favorites if you listen to the podcast if you listen to our podcast Kyle O'Reilly is a great example of someone who sells the tiredness and sells the struggle of a match 
Um, his two matches with Finn Balor were two of my favorite matches of the year, and he really sells the struggle. But you're right, like ninety percent of the roster just don't sell the struggle. And I think what I said in the long run, the version you just summed up there, they sold the struggle brilliantly. Yeah, yeah. I, this is why it sounds really random. I really think that one of my favorites nowadays is Walter because when you watch him you really feel the struggle on both sides. Whereas like they really have to go above and beyond to even have a chance against them. Whereas he is so good at selling, he does it just enough to give the opposition hope that they could win. But if he wins, it almost seems inevitable, but he never looks like it was easy. It always yeah. looks like it's a battle. We'll throw in India for that matter as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Like, talk about this match, like you guys said, the, the, the show, like, if you took this ladder match out of this card, this would be up there with like some fucking WrestleMania 11 in terms of shit WrestleMania. Like, we can't help but understand how much this WrestleMania needed a match like this. And we in the, that's why you were talking about, yeah, like, Jack goes for 450 on the ladder and mostly, like, his knees or something like that hits the ladder as Bubba moves and then Bubba hits the center. But as it should be pointed out, yeah, like, if you're like, someone's under a ladder and you do a spot, like, like if that, a lot if the ladder and you land on a certain name, like you're still landing on a steel fucking ladder, and that's not going to be soft. So realistically, you should be selling it. And like there was when I was talking about spots, and it's nice to don't get me playing now in other video packages. Like this is the match I've what I've seen least. Like I've seen the, the match from the volume of me like a hundred times. But I didn't know in this match the other spot where Jeff's climbing the ladder, Edge comes on the top rope and does a diving spear in this match. And I, I paused that because I didn't know that was coming. And uh, I can just imagine on the phone, you think like, hey, Jeff, remember that spot we did last year where I spewed your ladder? How about we go a little bit higher? And you're like, literally dangling in midair. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of like testing the wars. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, completely. You've got like, well, like, uh, Bobby hitting a cutter to Christian off the ladder. And then like, there's a spot where like they're all three of them on ladders. Christian and Jeff get pushed off their ladder, goes outside the ring. And then Bobby gets knocked off, he bounces off the ladder, knocks it into the other ladder, and then I think it's like uh, Edge and Matt both land like balls first right on the top rope. And like so like everybody's down and yeah, the crowd clearly comes alive because I think not only are all three teams over to varying degrees, so like you get ECW chance for uh, the Dudleys, but I think they also like the Harries and Ed and Christian are over to varying degrees. And the crowd also remember the ladder match from No Mercy. They remember the tables match from the Rumble. They've seen these teams already face each other like numerous times in the last six months or so. So they have had all three of them together, and now they've added a ladder. They've added ladders in the mix. They know that they can expect that, and I think they all came like as they were hoping for something great. And like the fact that the, the biggest pop of the night was the fact that they got the tables out as a big thing, because like sometimes that we want table chance and like a no DQ or a TLC match. Sometimes they're doing because it happens so early. But clearly, like the crowd from history and matches like this, no way expect something uh, big from those. And it also shows how fairly new the ladder match simply still is because, like, spots like, spots like the uh, I think Edge and Christian Hicks on Devon, Edge and Christian had a double suplex off a ladder on a Devon. Like, a double suplex compared to uh, the Swanton that Jeff had later on, or that cut that I mentioned, isn't that big a spot. The fact that they get the exact same style of reaction shows that all the spots that you guys are doing are still fairly fresh to this audience, which is interesting looking back on it from a modern perspective. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a sign of the time, sadly. Um, Vince probably saw this match and saw the reaction and thought he could do it on a regular basis. 
um, after this series and people would initiate, but it's 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 more about the characters in the match. Um, similar to like my, I think I've said this before, and I sound like a broken record, but like you can have all the ladders you want, but you need the right components. My favorite modern day ladder match, and I might be an out there one, is Sami Zayn versus AJ versus Jeff Hardy. Um, oh, in uh, I believe it was. Clash of Champions for the IC title because of the storyline. People mm-hmm. people focus on the ladders too much. When you have the components right and you have Sammy being this Fidel Castro thief, whereas in this match you had you had like just just the right components. You had like these three teams who were like the generational teams um, of their time. It's a lot more about the components in the match, and I think people focus a lot. The amount, the, the amount, I'm not doing people a disservice, but the amount of people who haven't been worthy, and I say that of a ladder match, or haven't just suited or haven't fitted a ladder match, um, yeah. has been annoying. Like Luke Harper versus Dolph Ziggler, another absolute banger. Um, shout out to Brody Lee, that was another ba- absolute amazing ladder match. But there's just uh-huh. some ladder matches that have kind of tainted it because of the way it's just been shoehorned in. Yeah, like looking at the history of the ladder match, like it's still fairly fresh at this point because, like, yeah, the two matches were Razor Ramon and Sean, and I'm, I think I might be in the minority that I think the second match, SummerSlam '95, is better because maybe because it's also the best match of a really shit card. So like those matches specialize like doing spots like off the ladder or kind of like throwing people into the ladder, and then you had like matches like the Rock v uh, Triple H at SummerSlam '98, which it really helped show you new ways of like using the ladder as a weapon, but like. Then the Hardys and Edge Christian Cable, and they basically put both together the whole like doing spots all that, but also using them in ways to make them look vicious and feel like real weapons. And so they've taken the match from like you can tell they've taken the match from No Mercy and also some spots in Kurt Brain Table that they got from the rap match at the Rumble and found a way to really mix, create a really great formula for this match. Because, like, yeah, Jeff does that spot with a big massive ladder with a swan ton. Uh, one downside of this match that annoys me is Jerry Lawler because like, the, the ladders do keep getting set up in like, spots that are nowhere near the, the title so they can set up for other spots and I know in a modern like, fan like, a little bit criticism is like oh you're just setting it up for the next spot and Jerry Lawler really exposed it by saying like, I really wish someone would actually go up and try to touch those titles like shut up Jerry you're ruining it yeah, but, I, I, yeah I, I think but Jim, Jim Ross was on his top form like he really he really helped we were talking about selling the deadliness in a match. Jim Ross did a perfect, uh, perfect job of both drowning out Jerry Lawler's idiocy and selling this, like selling the the real like life or death situation that we were presented with. I think it really it really shows how good Jim Ross is. Is that when everyone says that he's the best wrestling announcer ever? The real reason is because it's not only is he selling what's happening in the ring, he's also dispelling the idiocy from the person next to him. He has to work twice as hard to do just half the work. We talked about like top ten performers this show. Six of them are in this match. And I don't think for another one is 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 fucking JR. He's one of the top performers on this show. Just for trying to sell us and keep some of the shit that we see on this show like interesting and make, help it make sense. But like, a few minutes before Jed does that big swan on that gets re video packages. One spot that really maybe once was Jeff doing his like walk along the, the barricade and as he goes to dive, Bubbray has a ladder and he just throws it right at Jeff and Jeff barely has enough time to get his hands up to protect himself. Mm. Uh, 
that's actually a really good call back to the Royal Rumble, in fact, because I don't know if you remember, mm-hmm. there's, a se- there's a moment where Jeff does the same thing running across, and when he jumps off, Bubba Ray actually throws a table into his face, yeah. and you hear the huge smack. So this is, this is again, an example of where the six, the six individuals here have taken stuff that they've done before, and they just build upon it. And it's one of the reasons why several of the moves, such as like uh, the spear from Edge to Jeff Hardy, or Christian Matt falling out of the ring, the reason why they're not reshowing in later in later packages is because they take those moves and make them even better in the following matches so you remember tlc2 when edge does the huge spear that's always going to eclipse the other one when you see like um matt and christian falling out of the ring and landing through several tables that's that's them taking moments in this one and thinking we can do it better and it really shows the development in all six people in that they go right what was good in this and what could be better Hundred percent, and yeah. I knew going into yeah. this, obviously, having seen this, that Edge and Christian obviously won the match. But it is weird looking back at it when you can see the hints of them, like the original plan was to break them up, and then the fact that it went from that in a space of a few weeks from going to we're here, but it's still up to we're going to have them win this match at WrestleMania for the tag team titles. So clearly, at some point, uh, they've seen the value, and they've like Edge and Christian obviously managed to convince them to keep them together, and they've seen the the value in these two is as a team and think like fuck it let's see what these guys can do let's give them the ball let's give them the tag team titles and let's see what they do with it and each like they win they win the three matches in the series hold on my bat I need to turn my head once because my battery's about to die one second yeah no I before Scott turns back I, I think this is like a perfect example of like a theory that I've heard and that I believe that genius comes in a, a, in a very many forms Whereas, like, the outsider might look at this and look at it's just, for the want of a better term, just a lot of people on, like, just from an outside perspective, I can imagine people just being like, oh, they're all just, like, weed heads who are, like, just, like, just battering, the, like, beating the shit out of each other and, like, like the all the critics that you usually get with wrestling. But there has to be some sort of fucking, like, genuine intelligence to put this these things together in a way that tells a story. Like... Yeah. Do you know what? I think you might have just perfectly set me up for me to go into my yeah, thoughts on it. If Scott, yeah, you, before, if, before you go into your thing, I know you have a lot of thoughts on it, but the point I was going to make was that I think they anybody win the three like big matches that people know these two, three teams for having, and I think two out of the three they have a good reason for winning. There's one of the matches that I don't think they should have won, but we'll get to that when we get to it down the line. But like, I really. I remember going into it thinking, like, I've not seen anything that hints that Edge and Christian should have won this triple threat. And then actually watching it, we realised that Edge and Christian were actually smart, even though they did take risks at points like the spear. Uh, there was a spot where, like, Edge uh, uses a ladder, he flies down on it, went on to Matt, who's also got another ladder on top of him. So they do take risks here, but I don't think they take as many risks as, like, say, the Hardys do. And then, like, you have that spot with Edge, with Jeff and Bubba. And, like, Jeff and Bubba basically take themselves out. Matt takes... Uh, Steve on it with a twist of fate right before they go to clean the ladder. And what kind of, when you look back, it does seem kind of complicated with the two ladders and the table over it, which uh, the Bucks and Moisture Machines would recreate in 2010. And I think yeah, it was Matt and Alex Shelley would have like, a chair do on top of it. But then, like, then basically, everybody sees to take each other out. So it's left with Edge and Christian with one member of one of the other teams. And so Edge and Christian basically use the numbers advantage to them, like, while Matt's dealing with Christian. Edge sneaks up by and pushes him off the ladder and through the table. And so Edge and Christian actually wrestled the match smarter than the other two teams, and that's why they won. 
And so it shows that this isn't just a spot fight, it's actually a well-constructed match, which was a thing that actually makes sense. And that's the point I wanted to get across. But I will now let you give you the opportunity, as I'm sure you've got many thoughts. And please indulge us while we're waiting to hear. Scott, I'm actually uh, pretty much all of my theories are going to back up exactly what you just said. So for me watching this match, it's gonna, like I've, I've gradually I've hinted to it slightly previously, but this match really is reminiscent to me of watching Helm's Deep from Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. And the reason for that is going to sound very strange is that what makes Helm's Deep so good as a major set piece is that every action builds builds upon the previous action so you have it that there's a yukai army outside you close off the walls they try to go up the walls you battle them down they can't get over they explode the actual entrance they open it up and they can get inside there's all these things where they build upon what's previously happened it's a gradual game of escalation now this match does exactly the same because what it does is that the use of the ladders is very vital to the overall match, but it is built up very slowly. Now, you'll notice that early on that the first moments that it's brought in is like poetry in motion or an elbow drop onto the ladder. And this is really good because it keeps the danger relatively grounded. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, this is nothing really out of the ordinary. But then the first miss where Jeff Hardy goes for the 450 splash, which you've both, which you've both mentioned onto the ladder and Bubba Ray avoids it. That sells the risks that were involved, and it it's makes kind of, the crowd. It, it, it's kind of like it's kind of like alluding to the fact that the danger is there, but yeah. but not going hundred miles an hour yet. Yes, it's a bit. It's the early hint to the crowd who are already shocked and enjoying it. It's a good real use of pacing within the matchup, and then what happens is you go on to the next stage, which is where the first big move is Christian's dive onto Matt and Devon from a ladder to the outside. This is and then this is then followed up very quickly by Edge spewing Jeff off the ladder. Now this is a one-two, a big risk move that shocks the crowd, and the reason for that is because it builds upon on a gradual escalation. You've already had it that oh, they've used the weapons and now they're going off the weapons. And it's after this that we are introduced to the first setup for the three ladders. You have Bubba Ray hit the cutter off um, the two ladders to Christian. And this is where you've officially reached the third stage. You've gone from attacks with the ladder to dives off the ladder to now using the ladder as a stage in order to hit moves off. And you've gradually built upon everything that's happened so far. And this is really epitomized by that double suplex to Devon, which you have both mentioned already off the ladder, because the crowd is at this point that they're starting off with holy shit, but then are cut off by the next move and chanting holy shit, because it's building and building and building and escalating. And we get to the point where we have the fourth stage. And this is where you have two of the teams on the ladder. Again, not all of them, but building on what they've already seen. You've already seen one team on the ladder. Now you're seeing two teams on it. And they're using face busters and net breakers in order to stop the opposition. And that's showing, and it's gradually building up the desperation and the willingness to risk their own lives. You're already starting to believe this is what they're willing to do. And it really sets the groundwork for later on with what happens because you go, I believe they'll do it. Now you get to the fifth stage where you have all six members on the three ladders and you get in all six of them knocked off. Jeff and Christian fall out of the ring onto the concrete. And this is the first time in the match that it pauses. Because this is this is the first time they can all sell what's happened. And this allows the crowd a breather and almost an opportunity to react to the growing madness. And this is almost the pause that says to them, we've shown you what we can do so far. There is no going back. 
and this is where they really really crank it up so by this point the crowd is already starting to chant for the tables and the reason why for that is because they've seen the natural escalation that's occurring and they are getting excited because they know that it needs more so they start they're appreciating the classic that's unfolding in front of them and they're, they're it says something when they're booing the hardy boys because they pulled the dudley boys off a ladder they want more they want to see as Can much I- as possible can I just say something here? Because I think you've pointed, you've, you've kind of, I was, I was trying to, I was going to make a point later on, but I think you've kind of set me up perfectly here because in all that you've mentioned in the later stages, like four and five, I like the way you flip into the stage. I really, really like that. Four and five, it's all about the Hardys and the Dudleys. Yeah. If we're going to turn Edge and Christian heel, it, it, it worked out perfectly. I don't know if it was deliberate, but I'm sure it was because yours because we had the Hardys being booed we had the Dudleys doing the tables Edge and Christian were a forgotten entity for 10 for maybe 5 10 minutes yeah. and that's why the impact of the ending had that impact for me anyway that's one of my big notes I said Edge and Christian being forgotten about was a stroke of genius yeah and I agree because I actually mentioned it later on especially when it gets to the ending because so we end up with three ladders and four tables uh, one on top of the ladder, two next to the ladders and one next to the Spanish announce table and this is the next big stage of what's going on now you have Devon destroy one table by missing his attack on Jeff and you have Bubba powerbomb Matt off the Spanish announce table now this is demonstrating that the Duddy boys are in control but and this is what's actually in my notes it says Edge and Christian are nowhere to be seen because they're avoiding these moments because they know the Dudley boys are fanatical about the tables and they know that Hardy boys are fanatical about the ladders. So they're avoiding these moments. And this is where they start to show that slow heel turn where they're avoiding this. And then it goes on to the obsession that Bubba Ray has with this destruction because Christian only gets involved when he has the ring bell in order to set Bubba Ray up onto the table. And you notice that Jeff is the one who takes advantage, whereas Christian is already making his way back to the ring. Jeff hits the Swan Tom table because Jeff is so consumed by having to do these big moves off a ladder. And Bubba Ray is so consumed by his, um, his knee for tables that Christian has taken advantage. He has played both men against each other. So you get to this point, Jeff is wiped out. Bubba is wiped out. Devon and Matt are somehow barely surviving, but now they are alone with edging Christian who never allowed their focus to detract from the titles. Whereas the other two allowed themselves to be distracted by their knees. And this is where the finish makes so much good sense because at the end, it's the team that stayed together. That won the smartest team. Intelligence won out in the end. Yes. They Mm -hmm. won the titles together whereas the other two teams were split up all around the ring. And this is really epitomized by the fact that it's not one person on top of that table. It is both men. And they were both helping each other and supporting each other and trying to balance each other on the table. It was perfect. I, I, I don't know if Scott, I don't, Scott, I don't know if you were here for when I said it, but the fact that Edge and Christian were forgotten about for the 10 minutes before their yeah. win was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I think that really helped them in the end, because said there was that period where they weren't really factoring into it. And also going into it, Unless you were like a diehard Edge and Christian fan, which I'm sure there were some of them there at the time. Like looking at it, and I've said before that Edge and Christian weren't really memorable outside of their matches with Matt and Jeff uh, as faces, because like they're just like two blonde guys from Canada who are very good looking and and uh, they're good wrestlers. But even then, they're teasing their breakups. So the focus actually was focused on Edge rather than Christian, so they're looking at them as individuals rather than as a team. So going into this, really, when you look at it in the grand scheme of things. 
they probably would have been the team that probably a lot of people thought were the less likely to win because you got the Dudleys. We know who they are. They're the arseholes who put women through tables and somehow still get the occasional cheer. The Hardys are the Daredevils who everybody likes, especially the women. And then there's Edge and Christian. But they use that link to their advantage that nobody would expect, which makes the finish all that more shocking. Mm-hmm. And also says it's the same in that like these guys are staying together and like even though they've had great performances here, they're now the champions. And I don't think anybody will like underestimate them going forward. Absolutely, a hundred percent. And I think um the in the is especially interesting um when you mentioned about the fact that it looked like Edge and Christian were being broken up and the Hardys and the Dudleys were the more entertaining, the more famous and that sort of thing. I still like to believe it was the moment we saw on SmackDown when Edge hit that spear on on Terry and he demonstrated some character and he did because he was doing the sh- the horny little she devil and like jumping around with it and he just that's the moment where you really hope that I said at the time, I think this is where hopefully the writers have seen there's some charisma to them and they're going to take advantage of it. Now, up to this point, Edge and Christian were very clean cut. Like you can imagine them being like good old boys from the country and that sort of thing. Um, you know, oh, shucks. But this, they, this is where they're starting to add a semblance of character. And I, they really do take advantage in this situation and they get given this opportunity and you'd be hard pressed to find a tag team. I think who were giving a bigger opportunity and did as well with it as edging Christian will over the last couple of months, because 21 years later, we still talk about the stuff that do they do over the next couple of months. And it's especially fascinating because the last month or two, when we've been watching SmackDown, the tag team titles have been treated awfully. They have been so mm-hmm. inconsequential that it is painful to watch. But in this match, all three teams elevate the importance of the championship because the risk they take throughout not only helped all three teams and really made them even more than they already were, but it made the titles worth the efforts. And this would help make the tag team division a highlight for at least the next 12 months. I'm going to say there are five specific matches that help build the legend of all three teams. That's the No Mercy Ladder match. That's the Royal Rumble Tables match. That's this match and the two TLC match. Those five matches all deserve attention in history because of the impact they make in the tag team division and the impact they make on these three teams. And quite frankly, this is a must-see match. You see, I, yeah. I had the intention of like explaining to Rian the really shit booking that led us here. But after like talking about this in such glowing terms, I don't think I want to ruin it by talking about how we got here because we're going to talk about really crap bookings and things that don't make sense when we get to the main event. So I think I'm just going to leave that. There. Yeah, let's let, let's leave it for what it was. It was intelligence in a different form, and yeah. it was brilliant. And I, 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 it was the one match on the card that I feel delivered to its peak. And it's just a shame that, like you said, like Edge Spear and Tear was kind of the moment. Hopefully, that saw the like made the writers really notice how good these two guys are. And it's quite sad that immediately after the match that we get after this, and, like JR and like WWE do this all the time, where like they build up matches even before they happen. It's potentially the greatest like thing or the most important match ever. Like and like when the guys involved in this Edge with thing with Orton, even though it was a good match, the whole build to the backlash was the greatest match ever. But like the fact that even after this, there was JR and that were saying, and even JL was started being serious for a second. 
Uh, well, Alan Light was crediting the six guys involved for what they saw, and he's over here. I'd never seen anything like it. They were both talking about potentially they'd seen one of the greatest matches in WrestleMania history, and you know, twenty odd years later, and we're sitting here and like we can't really argue against that. So kind of good that it's not just hyperbole; it's actual fact that it's one of the greatest matches like ever in WrestleMania. But it's just sad that after that, you know, the sandwich between that really shit head team match and what is the only singles match in WrestleMania. A cat fight between Terry and a cat, all built around a TTV skit over Terry slagging the cat about our lack of TV time, and then the cat returns the top to uh, or skirt or wherever it was to Terry, but it's been ruined. And that's enough to get you a WrestleMania match because we need Trish Stratus enough tits on uh, on WrestleMania to satisfy the horny attitude of our fans. We need, we need more. We need Terry with her fucking skin tight shirt, which, which basically shows you everything. And then the cat, uh, so Daryl Law can go mental. And then Val Venus there, who, like, I don't need a match at WrestleMania. Just put me in this random cat fight as a referee. That'll do me with his T-shirt with the writing basically made to look like Jizz. <sighs> yeah. Wow. Um, do we want to talk with head or, or our penis? I don't really want to talk about any of it. This actually puts me off sex in general. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, to be fair. To be honest... Um, I don't know if you guys are avid fans of Sean Ross Sapp, but I am. I really do like him. And um, oh, fightful.com, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I just fun. love the fact. If you ever just listen to Sean Ross, he, he does. He does be on Quizlemania a lot. The Wrestle Talk kind of product that they've done the quizzes that are on every Wednesday. Yeah. Oh, is that like Blampard and Denise Scolaggio? I think it is. Yeah, so the... say though, Yeah, but Sean Ross Sapp has coined the phrase "fuck that fuck" and all those ones, and he. <laughs> Um, he bought the website um, thatbritishgranny.com or something. He got the like <laughs> for for sort of. But his stories about <laughs> about Sean Morley on Facebook, it's just so it's so funny. The man has gone off the deep end, and like it's just like he's selling vitamins on Facebook Marketplace and stuff. It's just, and he's 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 fair into his uh, into his conspiracy theories, his tinfoil hat. But man, it, like, uh, my favourite thing Sean's done recently, uh, Ross Sapp, not Sean Morley, uh, mm. when he appeared on the Quizlemania following uh, Revolution after Christian debuted the whole Outwork Everybody, and he debuted the slogan "Out Fuck Everyone," yeah, which I'm sure is, which I'm sure was the the, val- the mindset of Valve on any one of his movies. Yeah. Sam, if you're watching something tonight, just look up. Uh, there's a, actually a 40 minute compilation of Sean Ross Sapp's best moments <laughs> on uh, on Quizlemania. It's just a sight to behold. I made that connection there, but yeah, Sean uh, Valvinus. Also, no, Sean Morley is um, always and forever will be an interesting character um, for right or for wrong reasons. And I think t- uh, this was a footnote in the negative column of uh, Sean Morley's career. Maybe it was a positive for him, but watching this, this was just... I mean, a lot of things have aged terribly, and I'll get onto a few of them, but this is one that's just, yeah. I, I think it says everything about um, Sean Morley in general, in that this time last year at WrestleMania 15, um, he was in a fatal four-way for the Intercontinental title and was a major possible upper mid carder. And this year, he doesn't even get a match. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is insane. I like the fact he got more TV time on episode of SmackDown through GTV segments that were building this match on one episode of SmackDown than then the month previous where he was in, where he was European champion. It says a lot about how far Valvian is falling. I mean, he'll get a brief like resurgence towards the end of 2000, but that's 
like he's pretty much on the way. I mean, the fact he sticks around in 2003 is beyond me. Harry Harry managed to fucking pull that off as fucking Chief Molly, whatever the fuck he was called. But you know, the fact that most of my notes at the start of this, or like most of my notes in general for this cat fight, are the fact that involve people kissing Val Venus, and like the fact that the uh, the one wrestling review I get here is the cat doing a spear at one point. You have to throw your phone out the ring to win, and me Young is just so incompetent. She distracts Val twice accidentally, but and that causes uh, Ms. Terry getting thrown out, and then Miller pulls out uh, the cat. There's some jokes I can make about what the Miller would do with uh, the cat, but I'm gonna leave it there. And then Terry gets back in the ring. Val turns around, rings the bell again. Another heel winning at this WrestleMania, and. And then afterwards, there's a bit of a brawl. They're trying to tear Terry's clothes off. Made as a Bronco Buster. Two minutes and 26 seconds. And yeah, I may never have sex again. Do you know what? It's, it's ridiculous in that. Um, so this match is supposed to be between the cat and Terry building up because, you know, women be bitches and shit like that. You basically, you've just had it that you've had a match that would become infamous for all the right reasons. So let's follow it up with a match that would become infamous for all the wrong reasons as the only singles match of this year's WrestleMania. Now, it's bad enough you've got the cat and Terry Reynolds appearing in a cat fight at WrestleMania. Um, you obviously really need to include Fabulous Mueller and Mae Young involved in it and that is and watching this match it, i just i just ended up thinking to myself that why did you not just make it a tag team match and be done with it because otherwise it is completely pointless there was no focus whatsoever on the cat and terry runners the focus is completely on Mueller and may the wrestlers i say wrestlers with a lot of quotation marks do not matter and it's especially frustrating in that the choice of our venus doesn't make sense and it doesn't help that Terry and Kat are flirting with him. And it suggests that the whole story is them fighting over him in the first place and flirting with, flirting with them both. And it just, this, I May Young's an idiot. Kat's an idiot. Terry Reynolds is an idiot. Fabius Moore is an idiot. Val Venus is a lucky idiot in that he actually got any, he got a pay check basically for making out with two of the fittest women and also um, May Young. This is a pointless match. This well, is a pointless who but who cut Sean Morley's vocal cords? That's what I want to know. <laughs> uh, to be fair, having um, at 80 years old, I don't know where Mae Young's tonsils have been. So with that tongue, she might have just like it, it. It may have been like a duck's penis and just had loads of like sharp edges on the end of it. Who knows? But this it is ba- been, it, 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 it might have just been the, the Viagra as well. You seem to be quite an expert on duck's penises, Sam. Is there something you want to tell us? I don't know what the hell you've been getting up to recently. What can I say? I'm a massive he's, fan of uh, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck and Elmer Fudd. He's been listening to most of the Jericho podcasts. He's buying all them products. Hey, I may have the beard of a dynasty for Duck, but I ain't a Duck dynasty, don't worry. Um, this, I can describe in one sentence. Well, that was shite. Did anyone see... Actually, the best moment of this was at the end of the match. It cut to the commentary team, and the first thing I saw was Jerry Lauder licking his lips. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> That's going to haunt me. I, do you know what? I feel like a part of my soul just died. Okay, so as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we didn't know if we are going to have to split this into two parts or not. And, shot caller, yeah, we are. 
And so we're going to start off with uh, China and Tuchel versus the Radicals on part two and then go on to the main event. Hopefully it won't have to go beyond two parts. But, you know, ideally we wouldn't have ended with the catfight after praising the uh, triangle ladder match. But, you know, we also would have liked to have avoided talking about the catfight at all. But it was better to end part one with it rather than having to start part two with it, you know, help keep the enthusiasm going. But, uh, but we hope you've enjoyed uh, the main review so far. We hope you stay tuned for part two. We hope you've enjoyed me and Sam on the show. We hope you enjoyed being, being with us. And stay tuned for part two. Remember to follow us uh, on Twitter at Rogue underscore opinions. And we'll see you in part two. You think you know me, you know, and you can see me.